get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Ground ball right side, Goldie there, a flip, Garcia there, nine in a row for St. Louis, 11 games above the 500 mark, and win number 200 in the career of John Lester. You having fun yet? I mean, this is what it's all about. Congratulations to John Lester, who was fantastic through six innings. John's just a big game pitcher, um, and he's been an unbelievable competitor. Obviously, facing him for a long time, he's just you just know you can't really get to him. He's just really good, and uh, he's had an unbelievable career. We were happy to give him that 200. How about this? John Lester's been great for the Cardinals. The Cardinals have now won nine straight games for the first time since 2004. They are looking like the best team in the National League wildcard race, not named the Dodgers right now, and they're doing it against quality opponents. How, how about this for a September run with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, what did you think of John Lester last night? Big game, John. I loved it, man. It gives me uh, it gives me a lot of feels of John Lackey of the past with the Cardinals. Every time he takes the mound, you know he's going to have a little bit of an attitude out there. Mm-hmm. You know he's going to give that little death stare to the umpire when he doesn't give him the right strike, saying, "You know who the hell I am." But then on top of it, it's just the confidence that he has on the mound. You just. You, it's not the same as Adam Wainwright, but it's a little bit of a level step underneath Adam mm-hmm. Wainwright. It's just the confidence from him, man. And right now, he has, to me, solidified a couple of things. One, he's my guy to go. He's number two in a playoff series. But two, I talked, I texted both of you guys last night. He's at the point now where I'm sitting here going, I'm bringing, I'm bringing this guy back. Because he's got the veteran leadership. He's got the confidence. And frankly, he's throwing strikes. That's where I find it to be very interesting. Let's start with the, the rest of this season, and then we'll project to the future, right? So in his last six starts, something has changed for him. He's clearly changed up who he is as a pitcher. In those six starts, he's gone about 36 innings, so he's averaging just at six innings per start. And in those six starts, he has a 2.3 ERA. Opposing hitters are batting just 200 against him. Now, this is where I think things are really interesting. If you're looking at the fielding independent numbers, which these are like the the super nerdy numbers that you can look at. Oh, how exciting, FIP. It's what this is saying is if he was playing in front of a neutral defense, so the most average defense that you could think of in all of baseball, according to that, he should have a 5.7 ERA. Yikes. Here in St. Louis, in front of this defense, he has a 2.3 ERA. Alex, I think he has learned 
in these last six starts after his first few trying to get his feet under him here in St. Louis. He's learned how he can pitch in front of this specific defense and at this specific ballpark. It's changed things for him. When you have that outfield and when you have those guys playing defensively behind you in the infield, you can get away with things that you just couldn't get away with in Washington or if you were playing right now, even in Atlanta or whoever your team is that you want to bring up. The Cardinals right now have the best defense in the sport. And it completely changes the way that these guys are able to pitch. Jay Happ became effective once he got to St. Louis. He had a 70 RA in Minnesota, comes here to St. Louis, and he's like a three. John Lester, he had like a 5-5 ERA before coming to St. Louis, and now in the last six starts, he has a 2-3 ERA. Wade LeBlanc couldn't throw a ball. LeBlanc. Now he's a stud. Luis Garcia, TJ McFarland. the list goes on and on and on. There is a lesson to be learned here with the way that the Cardinals are constructed and the way that these pitchers are able to perform here in St. Louis. So this is a long-winded way to say I'm with you. He's your number two starter right now because he's learned how he can pitch in front of this defense and the results speak for themselves. He's clearly your second best starter in that rotation right now in my mind. I love the comp you had of John Lackey because I didn't even think of that, and that fits him perfectly. You don't get him a strike call. That's exactly what he does. He stares down the umpire. He's that veteran that's gritty that you kind of look at and you say, eh, you look at the numbers, it's fine. But then you watch him pitch and you go, that guy's going to be a difference maker come October. He's already been a difference maker since he came in in July. Mm -hmm. I'm with you guys 100%. He's your number two, and I think the Cardinals – projected that when they decided to do this the shifting around of moving him up a start. I know they're saying they're keeping him on every fifth day, but the way it works out is if you had to use Wayno, now you have John Lester for the wild card game on. I believe it's an extra day's rest, if I'm not mistaken, and I, I completely agree with the Cardinals' decision, and I agree with you guys. He sh- he's your number two heading into the postseason. What, what has gotten me with John Lester are his last five starts, because those are against quality opponents, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can go back towards the beginning when he went up against the Royals, and it was a rough game, and then the next one, he only gave up a run, but I start with Detroit, because Detroit's a team, despite us making fun of them and saying that the Cardinals should beat them, they're a team that's on the rise with some really good offensive numbers. He allowed one run through five innings against them. The Reds, one run through six and a third. The Brewers, one run through five and a third. Cincinnati, two runs through seven. The Mets, two runs through six. And then last night, two runs through six. I mean, all of those numbers right there, you're doing that against playoff contending teams, and he is putting up numbers that show you he is a trustable guy in your rotation because three months ago, We'd be looking at it and it'd be five or six runs given up. We'd be like, get the guy off of the mound. Now you're praying that he starts every fifth day. And there's a reason why it's happened. He's changed his arsenal. He's now going to the sinker instead of the four seam. And if you're looking for one pitch in particular that has changed the fortunes of John Lester, it's his cutter. His cutter is now effective. And this is the same conversation that we had early in the season with Carlos Martinez. Now, Carlos was not able to sustain. Happy birthday to Carlos, <laughs> by the way. Ooh, that hurts. Happy birthday, Carlos. By Hope the way, going well for you, man. Have we seen Carlos in the dugout? He's been doing some stuff. I've seen pregame. They've shown some videos okay, and stuff of him. It's like Ali Sanchez. But... I don't really know if he exists. Yeah, he, he's out there. I'm not Wait, sure what exactly what he's doing. Well, not anymore. Now he's back down in the minors no. because, you know, that extra man call up really worked out. I was talking about Carlos. But anyway, so Carlos went to his cutter and it was working for him for a while and then it stopped working for him and then he got hurt and we haven't seen him since. John Lester and this six game stretch that we're talking about, he's been going to the cutter a lot. In fact, he's used it more than any other pitch in his arsenal. And the results are outstanding. In these six games, opposing hitters are batting 0-95 against him, against his cutter. 
Previously, pre-July 31st, Alex, whenever we were talking about John Lester as a trade candidate, opposing hitters were batting 341 against his cutter. It went from being one of the worst pitches in the sport to being one of the most effective pitches in the sport. I can't explain it to you. I don't know what's changed. There's probably somebody way smarter than me that could explain it to you. I think I can explain it. It's what he said last night postgame. It's confidence. Like, he can throw the pitch with confidence now. He couldn't throw that in Washington. Because think about the defense that they have. Like, you're relying on Starlin Castro to make a play for you? Come on, that's not going to be the same as Nolan Arenado, Edmundo Sosa, Tommy Edmund, and Paul Goldschmidt. So, at least for me, that's how I would explain it. He can trust that pitch now rather than before he threw it and he knew what was going to happen. He's throwing it for strikes. It's not striking a bunch of guys out. It's not a strikeout pitch for him, but it is one that gets a lot of weak contact, and that's the difference. You're right, Alex. He's, he's able to throw it up there, and guys are converting those ground balls, those fly outs into outs. And that's the difference for him right now. And he's been super effective. He is definitely your number two starter at the moment. You mentioned that you would like to see him back next year. I'm interested to a degree. I think the lesson to be learned from John Lester and Jay Happ and Wade LeBlanc and TJ McFarland and Luis Garcia is that they're kind of, they're basically replaceable replacement level pitchers. And if you are able to get what John Lester is giving you right now out of Dakota Hudson next year, and you're able to go out there and find whoever the next John Lester is, but maybe he's 33 instead of 39, I'd be fine with that going into the offseason. But if you decide as John Mosaloc and Michael Gersh, you come together as a front office and you say, you know what? We like John Lester, not just what he's doing on the mound for us, but also the presence that he has in that clubhouse. If you think that that's a good thing to have and that's perfectly fine. I'd be fine with bringing him back for a two, three, four million dollar deal. That's a fine guy to have in your rotation. I would have no issues with that. Uh, here's why I'm looking at him. I'm saying, you know what? You got to bring this guy back because we've talked about how the depth really hurt this team with pitching wise. And you don't have a ton of guys in the minor league system right now that you're like, yeah, I can trust that guy. If somebody goes down for an extended period of time, we talked yesterday. You don't know what miles Michaelis is. You don't know what Dakota Hudson is. Jack Flaherty's still kind of a question mark for next season because of the injury. That was a long one this year. And I'll go back to the John Lackey comp. Remember when he was acquired from Boston, he wasn't the greatest for him. He had the attitude. He had the leadership. And you're like, man, this guy's been there before. So you like what he brings, but you want to see a little bit more from him. And then the next season, he was just all out. I think he had like a sub three ERA for the Cardinals. That was 2015, right? When they won 100 games. Yeah. Exactly. So that's where I'm coming at. And maybe he's not going to do that. Probably won't do that for the age that John Lester is. But if you're coming back with one last ride of Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, I want a little bit more leadership in that clubhouse that's been there before. And John Lester's the perfect guy to do it. I'm open to the idea, and I, I, I don't mind bringing back John Lester. The, the thing that I think the front office is going to have to weigh, and they will weigh, is if you bring in John Lester, or say it's Jay Happ again, maybe you bring one of those two back, you basically say Reyes as a bullpen arm, in my opinion. Because then that, that you've, your rotation is filled out with Flaherty, Michaelis, Hudson, uh, Wayno, who said he's going to come back, and then one of those two. Yeah, but I don't dis- I, I don't agree with that though, T Bone, because like I, I think you tell Alex Reyes, you want the job, outperform John Lester. The the problem is is unlike a Wade LeBlanc, is that I don't know because I like the idea of bringing in veteran guy. The thing is, is I think the Cardinals are going to look at a veteran guy that can move to the bullpen if Reyes does what you're talking about, where he beats him out. Lester, I don't think Lester's not that guy. Hap's not that guy. LeBlanc could be that guy because we saw him come out of the pin, but he's had the elbow issue. So you don't look at him. It's going to be 
someone in that mix that's a veteran leadership, I think, that can go to the pin if Alex Reyes outperforms him in spring training. I think it's got to be a, a spring training tryout type of a situation. And if Lester's willing to do that, where, you know, a lot of those veterans sign the contract that has an opt out for them midway through spring training or towards the end of spring training, they'll come in, compete, and if they get beat out, so in this example, Alex Reyes beats out John Lester next year. Reyes is going to be in the rotation. Lester is not. Well, then on whatever, February 25th, Lester can opt out of his deal here in St. Louis and go sign elsewhere and free of charge, basically, for everybody involved and everybody moves in a different direction. Like That would have to be the type of deal that is signed. Otherwise, I'm not sure it makes a ton of sense for either side. You've got to give yourself that out if you're the Cardinals, because if Reyes is awesome as a starter, He's the guy that I'm going to go with there, as opposed to a guy like John Lester, who's, who is definitely on the back half of back half, the very back end of his career. Yeah, I just think the guys that you'll want to invite to spring training to perform for a starting role, and then if they don't get it, they can go elsewhere. They're not going to be guys that, like, let's say an injury pops up, and you're like, okay, well, this is the guy we have in camp now. He's the one that's going to take over that spot. If an injury does pop up in spring training, Whereas John Lester, and I know you can't sign guys just as insurance because, of course, he wants to extend his career if he continues to want to play. But I'm looking at John Lester and I'm saying, man, if this guy continues this pace, I want him on my roster. And if Alex Reyes outperforms you in spring training, then so be it. We'll find a destination for you. But for right now, I got this guy slated for my team because he's so good on the mound, off the mound, and what he provides to a team I think is important. Yeah, I just think there's a lesson to be learned this year. And it's you can find these guys. And the, the lesson to be learned also is next year, if they have these issues again where they run into a depth problem, you've got to be more aggressive because the Cardinals were nearly out of it. They almost waited too long. They waited till the very last second to be able to get that pitching uh, help that they needed. When you have this kind of a defense, if you can find guys that just throw strikes, and maybe this is an argument against Reyes, honestly. If you're able to find those guys, you can go out there and you can have a lot of success. And what the success looks like right now, they have won nine straight games for the first time since 2004. Guys, I looked up some of the things that were taking place in, in, in America the last time that the Cardinals were able to accomplish this. Tanner was four. I was 12. I was 14. Napoleon Dynamite was in theaters. Al, or Tanner, have you seen Napoleon Dynamite? Terrible movie. No. No, stop. Terrible movie. Okay. The the era of my life that I hate the most are when people <laughs> used to wear the Vote for Pedro t-shirts. Like, um, really? Friends had just had its finale. Disappointing time of my life. Leave, Get Out by JoJo Great was the song. number one song in America. Not Great sure song. That one. Gas was $1.88 per gallon. That sounds nice. Facebook was just launched. Yeah, that was Ugh. when your parents weren't on Facebook. Britney Spears married her childhood friend, Jason Allen Alexander, for a total of 55 hours. Was that pre or post oh, nice. K-Fed? I think that was pre-K-Fed. I think it was post, right? Was it post-K-Fed? Wasn't, it, wasn't that a rebound from K-Fed? No. I could be wrong on I that. Uh, K-Fed led to the bald head. Things got out of hand. Uh, a young Tom Brady had just won his, or was, yeah, just won his third Super Bowl By in a four-year stretch. Fine. Not yeah. a big deal. So uh, there's a there's a lot that's changed over the last 17 years. But one thing that is still the same, the Cardinals in 2004, nine straight. They have done it again for the first time in 17 years right now with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in 15 minutes or so. We'll catch up with our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford, joining the show. Want to talk to him about Scott Perunovich's big weekend in the prospects camp that's coming up at 1130. But coming up next. 
the offense has really come alive of late. And there's one guy in particular that's kind of been the unsung hero of it. We got to talk about him. Give him his credit next on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling. Bouncer through the hole, left side. Here comes O'Neal. Yelich, his throw, not in time, and the Cardinals have the lead on a Yadier Molina single to left. And Yadi drives in another. Here comes Arenado. Molina has driven in two tonight, and it's a 5 2 St. Louis lead. Credit to Yadier Molina. We've had a lot of conversations this year, and I have been critical of Yadi's offense so far in the 2021 yeah, season. Unbelievable how unfair you were to Yachty. Did you take that bed down super quick, Tanner? You had to make sure, <laughs> what, to make sure you heard there? his point. <laughs> um, Yadier Molina offensively this year has left a little bit to be desired, but that has not been the case in the month of September, Alex. He is 14 for 51 this month. He's batting right around 300 and in high leverage situations all season long. This is where he's been spectacular really for the entirety of his career. He's batting 330 with an OPS of 841. And we saw it last night once again. When you need a big play in a big moment, I'd probably rather have O'Neal up, maybe Goldie. I think Yadier Molina might still be third for me. Before um, Arenado? No, Arenado and Goldie would be the top two probably. D- did I you say O'Neal? Did I say O'Neal? Yeah, My bad. Yeah. That's that's on me. I was reading <laughs> O'Neal and I said it out loud. Arenado won. Goldie two, and then Yachty Yachty. might be number three for me in terms of a big spot, runner in scoring position, two outs. I think Yachty would be third for me on guys that I want up at the plate. He'd be for mine too, and it goes to show you how, look, some of the guys are growing into that because Dylan Carlson's getting to the spot where I kind of trust him with runners in scoring position in big time moments. Tyler O'Neill still struggles there every once in a while, but we of course saw what he did against, uh, uh, on that previous home game, what was it? It was against the Padres where he hit the the, uh, the big-time go-ahead home run. But you're right. Yachty's still the guy that you trust in those big-time moments, and he's just clutch. We've talked about it before. And I, I think if we're going to give Yachty credit, we got to give Mike Schilt credit because, look, he's the one been giving him rest. And you can kind of correlate the two because for a while there, he was just playing. And the struggles were happening. We're like, man, what is going on with Yachty? It just doesn't seem right. And then lo and behold, next thing you know, you get late August, early September, and he's sitting them every sixth day. And you're like, what are you doing, Schilt? But that's where this emergence has come from for Yachty. But I think a lot of it, too, is you've moved him down a spot. You found somebody who can hit in the five hole with Dylan Carlson there, and you got guys the one through four. So maybe Yachty's not hitting in the number five spot and the number six spot, and there's some confidence there as well. Yeah, I'm big on the, the – I think Schilt deserves a lot of credit for being able to – sit down and have that conversation with Yachty and say, you're going to have to take a game off in basically every series. And since they've done that, like you said, Alex, his numbers, so I went and looked. It's basically been about since the beginning of August that the Cardinals started doing this. Yachty, 266 average, 367 slug, 319 on base, so 686 OPS. That doesn't jump out, but if you look at his numbers June through July, 213 average, 267 on base, 253 slug, 520 OPS. So the off days... His offense isn't what it used to be. He's still, but he's still a great hitter. And now that he's getting more rest, I think it's benefiting him at the plate. Defensively, I think he's looked better over the last couple of months, too, because he's had the off days. I, I think Schultz deserves some credit, but he can also give it to Yachty, too. But I'm with you, BK. He's the third guy I'd want to have up in a clutch situation because you know he can, 
a lot of guys on the Cardinals team are, are pole hitters. Yadi can spray the ball, and, and he's, to me, the most all-around hitter that can do that for the Cardinals. He can hit it to right if he needs to. He can go up to middle or he can pull it. That's why I think him hitting in that fifth, sixth spot, you get the guys on base, he's the guy you want to come up. And right now, you look at what the lineup has become, and we mentioned this yesterday, Alex, you just don't have easy outs in mm-hmm. that lineup right now. I mean, you saw it last night with Freddie Peralta. He There was no, okay, whew, I can let my hair down a little bit. I'm ready to go. Like I can, I can get these guys. It'll be a quick inning here, and then we can get back to work coming up in the next one. That, that doesn't really exist right now. And for so long with the Cardinals, it did. Once you got through in recent years, really the like two through four in your lineup, you felt like you were fine, and you could move forward, and you didn't have to worry about it. It was just getting those three big guys out in the middle. Well, now you have O'Neal and... Goldie and Arenado all hitting at the same time, really for the first time all season long. And then you add on top of that, Edmonds starting to look good again. You just saw Carlson over the weekend have a huge weekend for them. Yachty is performing really well, especially in high leverage spots. Edmundo Sosa has continued this month. He's batting 290. I mean, it's it's top to bottom right now. Even Harrison Bader at the bottom of your order. He's batting 290 in the month of September. There are no easy outs for the Cardinals right now. And when you're an opposing pitcher and you see a lineup like this, it the names are different. The track record is different. This probably won't sustain over the long haul. But this is what it's like to go up against the Giants all season long. This is what it's like to go up against the Dodgers in any individual series. You just don't know where the outs are going to come from. And that's when you become a dangerous team. That's how the Cardinals have won nine straight. They're finally getting their offense to perform up to expectations. It took a long time to get here, man, a long time. But finally, we're starting to see the fruits of their labor, or in the words of Mike Schilt, a bountiful harvest. Scratched and clawed to get that bountiful right. harvest to all season long. I think some of this credit goes to Edmundo Sosa as well. Because you put somebody who's still a threat behind Yadier Molina. Because for a while there it was Paul DeYoung. And it felt like that was the easy part of the lineup, right? Where the pitcher could be like, okay, this will, this should be easy enough. And then you get to Harrison Bader and the pitcher. That 7-8-9 prototypically is taken care of for the pitcher. But Edmundo Sosa's brought a little bit of danger into that spot. And then when he's getting on base, you know, you put the you put the um, the excitement over to Harrison Bader, who continues to keep the line moving. So, I mean, you're right, PK. You go top to bottom with this lineup, and it's dangerous right now, which is why this team has won nine in a row. But I think there's individual credit that you can give in certain circumstances because Yachty's not performing this way unless guys around him are performing up to this level also. Are we ready to have the Jeff Albert conversation? Ooh, don't about, do this. About, we did yeah. this. We did this Friday, man, and people were mean to us. We gonna talk about how the offense is looking good, or no? Nah. I mean, yesterday we gave a little credit to Mike Schilt, so we've already got people mad at us because <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. No, but you're not supposed to. If if we're gonna criticize the hitting coach when they're not hitting. Shouldn't he get some praise no. when they are hitting? No, because they just don't listen to Jeff Albert okay. when they're hitting. Okay, so what, what the way this works, I just want to make sure I'm clear here. I want to make sure that I understand how yeah. this works. So when the team's not hitting well, it's because they're listening to the hitting coach. Correct. And when exactly. the team is yeah. hitting well, yeah. it's because they're ignoring his advice. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When the okay. team's hitting well, they're basically saying, hey, Goldie, Arenado, Yachty, how should we be approaching the plate? Because Jeff doesn't know what he's talking okay. about. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's how this works. Sweet. That's what I we found out on Friday. Just wanted to make sure. Now, that very well may be true. 
but I'm guessing there's probably some guys in the lineup who, whether it be Jeff Albert or the rest of his hitting staff, which there is now a staff in place around him, which seems to be a good thing. Um, Whoever deserves the credit for the approach that they are taking at the plate right now, they look immensely prepared for everything they're going up against. There are moments when they are super aggressive against opposing pitchers. There are also moments when they are taking pitches. They they look like the lineup that we all expected them to be. Now, one thing that I will say, there are things that are still happening that are not all that different than what took place at the beginning of the season. The strikeout numbers, very similar to what we saw at the beginning of the season. The home run rate, that's really what's changed for them. They are slugging now the way that they were in, remember when they were playing well in like early May, late April? That That is what this team needs. It's about the slug. Tanner's told this uh, told us this all slug, along. Maybe slug. When they're hitting for power, they are a completely different offense. And right now, you're seeing them hit for a heck of a lot of power, whether that be just extra bases, like you saw last night, Matt Carpenter with a bountiful harvest, or, whether it be that, or Nolan Arenado with the home run, or over the weekend, Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson with the grand slam, his first multi-home run game from both sides of the plate. I mean, it's it's everybody. Everybody is contributing in big time ways right now, and they're all getting in on the power. Uh, six three six. They quit Jeff. Don't be stupid. Okay. What? That's what we told you. Okay. They don't listen to Jeff or his staff. They basically say, "No, I'm a major league hitter, and I'm going to do what I want up here." And that's where the success comes from. Okay, that makes sense. So, so no credit to Jeff Albert. For... Frankly, hitting coaches, they don't even matter, right? Like you don't need them. Okay. Then I don't want to hear any calls for his firing either in the postseason if they stop hitting well, or no. next year early in the year no, when he's back as the hitting coach. You don't get the game. You don't get. Yeah, the game. you don't get the game because then they're listening to him again. Oh, okay. yeah. They <laughs> that just makes sense. they stop for a short period of time when they're struggling. They're listening to him. They just need <laughs> okay. to stop listening to him. <laughs> That's fair. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line to get those questions in. Coming up next, we're going to catch up with our guy Jeremy Rutherford. Earlier today, he broke down the roster that the Blues are taking into training camp beginning on Thursday, and. He has some interesting thoughts on Scott Perunovich. What's his role going to be going into 2021? We'll ask JR next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. We'll get into some questions and answers in about 15 minutes or so. But right now, it is time to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our Blues Insider for 101 ESPN into the Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. JR, how you doing, man? Doing well, doing well, excited. Just a couple days before we'll be sitting out at the rink with uh, real updates. Yeah, Alex is excited to be out there for Thursday's uh, opening day with training camp. Uh, JR, I, I want to start with what we saw over the weekend because Scott Perunovich and the Blues were a part of that prospects tournament over the weekend. What was your uh, big takeaway from that tournament as a whole? And then I've, I've got a Scott Perunovich question for you as a follow up. Yeah, not so great for the Blues overall as a team. Uh, one, one, and one. It's it's a tough tournament. You take your best prospects there. This year was a little bit different. The Blues had to take a number of uh, free agents, and so uh, not everybody represented. But uh, I, I think you know there were spurts where it looked like a Blues type team where they played physical and made some plays. 
but uh, I think you look at the goaltending, Joel Hofer looked pretty good, Colton Ellis. Uh, then you get to a, a younger guy, Will Cranley, uh, let in a few goals that last game, so that's where that game got out of hand. But I think big picture, the players that the Blues needed to see and step up and who might be a part of this thing this year look pretty good. So Scott Wheeler writes about prospects over at your website, The Athletic, and he wrote this earlier today as his takeaway from the prospects tournament. He said, if there was an award for the best player in the tournament, Perunovic would have had my vote. He shouldn't be in the he has to earn it territory. He should be in the we have to find a way to make room for him, even if it comes at the expense of a veteran territory. JR, do you agree with that sentiment? How impressed were you with Scott Perunovich's performance in this in this tournament? Well, he, he's right. I think if he did an MVP of the tournament, uh, he, he just looked sharp. And it's the skating. Like, he's just in and out of traffic and, and uh, can get wherever he wants on the ice. And I think we've been hearing that for the past couple of years. Just tough to see with the pandemic and then also uh, with Scott Perunovich having the shoulder surgery last year. So he's kind of been on delay uh, so finally, you see it at Traverse City. He looks great. So to address Scott's point about finding room for him, you know, I think that's a possibility. That's the opportunity that he's going to try to create for himself here when he when he shows up for camp on Thursday. I wrote a piece the other day at the Athletic. He came to camp uh, a, a month early, paid his own way. He along with uh, Jake Neighbors just to get this kind of jump. And so I think that's when you see it pay dividends with the way he played. Uh, in in, uh, Traverse City. Now, the situation is the Blues don't have a lot of depth on defense. And so when you talk about uh, putting him ahead of a veteran, if he comes into camp and he looks like he can play in that third pairing and Robert Bortuzzo, Nico Mikula, you know, who's a younger guy himself, one of those guys becomes a healthy scratch and Pernavinch jumps him, you know, I can see that as a possibility. But we do have to keep, keep in mind that even though he looked great at the tournament, BK, he hasn't played a ton in the last 18 months, just practices, not much game action. It could be a situation where he needs some time in the AHL. We'll find out in the next couple of days. JR, a two-part question here. Who, in your opinion, do you think he has to leapfrog over to steal a spot on this big league team? And then second part of the question is, what would his role be if he was a part of this team? Yeah, and to me, uh, I think that you look at this Blues defense, Jake Wallman, how real is he? He looked pretty good last year in, in, in a small sample size, didn't play a, a ton of games, but after years of seeing Jake Wallman look like a, a fringe player, you know, I think he told you that he could be in your top seven or at least in your depth uh, area, number eight. And so I think he's a guy. I think Nico Mikola, they think the world of him, they're going to need some uh, physicality on this Blues defense, Alex, and Nico can give you that. And then the other guy is Robert Bortuzzo. You know, I think everybody likes what Bortuzzo brings when he is in the lineup, the physicality, the penalty kill, the shot blocking, so on and so forth. But this defense needs to get the puck up the ice. We saw last year what happens when it doesn't. Perinovich can do that. So the Blues would be adding another uh, smaller-sized defenseman like a Justin Falk, like a uh, Tory Krug to this group. But if Perinovich can play, I, I think he could find his way uh, in the lineup. But it would be over guys like Bortuzzo, Wallman, and Mikola, if the Blues so choose to do that. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic joining us here on 101 ESPN. JR, on your piece over at The Athletic right now, which people should read, they should subscribe to The Athletic for your uh, writing and reporting all season long. You have 11 guys in the forward group that are basically guarantees the locks to be able to make this team, which doesn't leave a whole lot of margin for error in terms of the guys competing for potentially that last roster spot. Uh, kind of a two-part question here again. A, do you think Kyle Clifford's guaranteed to be on this team uh, on opening night? And B, 
who are some of those guys that are competing for that final spot as we go into opening night? Yeah, not a definite guarantee. You know, I, I wouldn't bet the farm on it, but he does have one year left on his deal at a million dollars. It's a one-way deal. Even if he did stay on the roster, he could be a 13th or 14th forward if you do keep a couple extras. You know, I don't think there's going to be any promise to uh, Clifford that you know, we're going to see him uh, 50, 60 games. I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I think the Blues are going to take a strong look at some of these guys in camp like a uh, uh, Clint Cawson, like a, a Jake Neighbors, these guys are going to get some opportunity, and I think they could find their way uh, into the lineup. So to me, when you look at the training camp battle at forward, uh, you really see 11 that are, are kind of set. And then that 12th one, if Robert Thomas gets uh, signed, and you know indications are that that could be a possibility that they do get him signed and into camp on time, you know, then he's going to be your 12th guy. The other thing we have to think about is the uh, salary cap. And, you know, will the Blues even carry 14 forwards, seven defensemen, or eight defensemen? Uh, You know, with the salary cap and them being up against it, there's probably going to be times throughout the season where uh, they're not carrying a couple extra guys at each position. So we'll have to see. But I I really do like uh, the the training cap battle at forward with uh, neighbors, with Costin battling for a spot, Dakota Joshua looking for a spot. We remember how good he looked last year. So there are three or four guys, but it's going to be tough because there's only going to be one or two spots. There's two other guys that I'm curious about at the forward position, JR, and that's the guys that were signed to the PTO last week, James Neal and Michael Froelich. And, you know, we saw last year where the Blues brought in Mike Hoffman on the PTO and then signed him to that deal. Can you see a similar scenario with a James Neal or Froelich? I suppose, uh, but we we got to go back to the cap situation. You know, obviously they're going to be cheap to bring in and sign if the Blues do like what they see. Uh, but in talking to some people around the league about Neil and for a league, you know, obviously these guys are on the backside of their career. Uh, Neil, at this point, he can probably help you a little bit on the power play, but who are you going to unseat on the power play? I realize you lose Mike Hoffman, but, it, you know, Craig Bruby doesn't like taking uh, several of those guys off that top unit. And uh, even though he can help you there a little bit, What's he going to do five-on-five? Five? Not a great five-on-five five player. Would probably be a fourth-line type guy. And similar situation with Froelich. Could probably help a little bit. But I just think that you have guys here in St. Louis that are a little bit part of your future and sign that make more sense than these guys. A lot of times what happens with these PTOs, and the Blues have signed their share of them, but a lot of times these guys just want to get on the ice and audition for somebody. Maybe they don't make this Blues roster, but one of the exhibition games they play, a team on the other side uh, takes a look at them. So possibility, I guess you could say, but uh, I think it's a long shot for those guys. JR, final question that I've got for you. There's been some buzz that Vladdy's looking pretty good in some of the practices that they've had out there that are not organized by the team, but just the guys skating around. Uh, What have you heard about Vladdy and, and how he looks so far? Yeah, I've heard the same thing, and this is going back, uh, you know, several weeks when he's been out there skating. I've heard that uh, looked pretty good, and hey, I think that's what I expected. I mean, you have a situation a where a player has a lot to prove. B, if he really does want to get moved, and Doug Armstrong has acknowledged having conversations with him, saying, "Hey, we need to have you ready to play for the St. Louis Blues," and if you, in fact, want to you know, keep your trade request and, and you want to get moved, you know, we've got to have some production. And, and so, you know, I think it's good to hear that Vladdy's uh, in good shape, you know, at times throughout his career, that's been somewhat of a, a question mark. And then I know that uh, he's obviously dealt with the three shoulder surgeries. So uh, to see him back in form out there practicing ready for the start of the camp with the rest of the team, like we really haven't seen the past couple of years, it bodes well. Now my question is, what's going to be the role? What's going to be the ice time? Who's he going to play ahead of? Those are the things that are intriguing me heading into Thursday. 
Jeremy Rutherford is your Blues insider for The Athletic. You can check him out on Twitter as well. He's at JP Rutherford. JR, we're looking forward to the Blues season right around the corner at this point. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today, and we'll talk to you about some actual on-ice product for the for the NHL club next week when we, when we talk JR, to you JR, I promise I'll keep the Hall & Oates comps to myself this time. <laughs> Let's do it all season. I'm looking forward to it. Even the uh, bizarre Alex Ferrario comparisons. I, I can't wait. It's my favorite time <laughs> of, of the year. One of them will come out on Thursday. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I, I'm curious. I think the the spots where you're really going to see the biggest battles are kind of that fourth line role for the forwards. The question of, okay, does Dakota Joshua, does Clem Costin, does Jake Neighbors, do any of those guys battle their way into this major or this NHL roster? And then on the defense side, I... I think it really is as simple as can Scott Perunovic push somebody else out of uh, the the established veteran portion of the defenseman. I, I think those are the biggest things in camp. Otherwise, this team's kind of set for the most part with who they like, and it's a matter of where they're going to play. But we kind of know what the NHL roster is going to look like for the most part on opening night. Yeah, well, and remember Tyler Bozak is back. So, right. you know, he's probably looking at a third-line role, and then you'll have the Kairou, Thomas, Tarasenko scenario. So really the competition does come down to the fourth line. And I think the question you asked to JR about Clifford is an interesting one because it's going to be tough for him to make this roster because, remember, Zach Sanford's a part of this team also, and he's making $2 million, so an extra million more than Kyle Clifford. And from what I'm hearing from this prospect camp, as JR was talking about there, Dakota Joshua was very impressive to some people. Jake Neighbors has really impressed Craig Berube and some of the coaches. And then you also have to discuss a guy named Alex Torpchenko. I don't think he makes a roster right away, but he's going to make things interesting. So fourth line is going to be an internal competition. They do have that void to fill by Oscar Sundquist, who isn't going to be participating in training camp. So that's where the competition comes in. Perunovic is an interesting one as well, because like I said, the movement has been there. The skill are there, but how does he perform against real men? And you'll see that once you get into that first preseason game. I would anticipate him probably playing in seven of eight of those preseason games. Yeah, and then I, if I had to make a prediction today, I would probably say he starts out the season in the AHL, and then if an injury were to take place, maybe he gets a call up. A spe- like Knock on wood, hopefully this doesn't happen, but if anything were to happen to Krug, he'd probably be the obvious internal candidate to be able to replace some of the things that Krug does. And that's that's my biggest question about him. Does it make sense for this team to have both Krug and Perunovic out there together? Not necessarily on the same defensive pairing. Of course, that wouldn't make any sense. But on the same team, does it make sense to have both of those guys? Maybe you can get away with it in the modern NHL, but... That is certainly not the prototype in terms of the way that the Blues have played on the back end in in recent years. I'll say this, man. He created a lot of offense at this Travis uh, tournament that they just were participating in. And from what some of the guys that were there, Scott Wheeler, one of them, Matthew DeFranks was another. He said that Perunovic may not be the biggest guy on the ice, but what he did well was find the pockets in uh, in the defensive side of the the ice to where he could take the puck off of a, an opponent's stick and and push it up ice faster. Yeah. Tory Krug struggled with that during the season in terms of getting stuck in his own zone. I do really think there's a there's a chance Perunovic could outperform Jake Wallman in training camp and make the starting roster. But you're right. They do probably want to get some AHL seasoning in him. He's going to have to have a big camp if he wants to make this team. Just hasn't played a lot of hockey last yeah. couple of years. The injuries have caught up with him a little bit in the last year, of course, being the weird year with COVID. Uh, it's It's been tough for him, but hopefully everything goes well for him this season. And I would have to imagine at some point this year, whether it be opening night or later on in the season, we're probably going to see Scott Perunovic at some point this year. And I can't wait to 
be able to find out what he can do in a Blues uniform. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 20 minutes or so, play a game of Bet It or Forget It. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line if you've got to bet it or forget it to send in. Coming up next, though, it's time for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers from the six one eight BK. We're all dying to know how's your chest feel today, boys. It feels super smooth like a baby's bottom. No, it doesn't because you didn't get all the hair off of it. I have a little bit of a rash going on right now. If we're being totally honest, <laughs> because I did it the wrong way. I should have waxed to top to bottom, not across. But across, I felt was going to hurt worse. I have never had more of my friends that I haven't talked to in like you know, five, 10 years. Some of the guys that I knew from college, some of the people that I knew in high school that reached out via Facebook or Twitter or whatever that are like, Hey, uh, are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, why? That looks like it hurt a lot. Yeah, it did. It sounded <laughs> it worse great. than it looked to be honest with you. And that's what Katie was telling me yesterday when she was listening. Cause she's like, you can hear the rip. Oh yeah. Into the microphone. They didn't even Not realize good. that until I went back and listened to it. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah, but see, the problem was you did the wax top to bottom, and I waxed across. Yep. So I should have waxed top to bottom. Correct. So that was a rookie mistake on my part. But I did give you kind of the heads up that, like, Katie was telling we me how no to do all of this. Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, it's it's fine. Everything's fine. It's uh... The rash also could have been I might have burned your skin if the wax was too hot. So I mean, it, it was probably a combination of all of the above. Okay. So, well, yeah, I'm fine. Hey, you know what? Don't lose in the uh, pick'em. Right? Yeah, that's lesson learned here. Don't lose in the pick'em three straight weeks. We're coming to your leg here next. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 217. Hey guys, do you think Tyler O'Neill has been the most valuable player on the Cardinals in 2021? And do you think he has a chance to be so once again in 2022? I don't think he's been the MVP. So this is interesting. I think it depends. Like if you go by the numbers, the answer is yes. He has been the MVP because he's been the most valuable player to the team this year. He is eighth right now in the National League among position players in wins above replacement. And that's numerically how you would determine that. That's based on the fan graphs wins above replacement. By the way, I find this interesting. The Cardinals actually have three of the top 15 in the National League and wins above replacement by position players this year. Tyler O'Neill at number eight, Paul Goldschmidt at number 11, and Nolan Arenado at number 15. That's something that we haven't seen from the Cardinals in recent memory. I wonder why we're so good. It turns out that that's important to have three top 15 dudes. I think I'll have to go through this here in a little bit, but I think they're the only team other than the Padres that has three top 15 guys in the National League. Do you guys think that he has been, though, not numerically based on watching the games? Do you think he's been their MVP this year? No, it's been Wayno. You're not in the playoffs if it's not Wayno. I mean, you go back to the beginning of the season, even when the team was losing, he was the guy who would stop the losing, right? I mean, Wainwright has been the MVP of this team. And then we gave the numbers yesterday, post all-star break on. I mean, he's putting unreal numbers up right now. So yeah, as great as O'Neal has been, Wainwright is still the MVP in my opinion. I'm with you hundred percent. I think it's Adam Wainwright. You don't have Adam Wainwright. You don't survive uh, June. I, I think it's just that plain and simple because he was that one guy that you always said, all right, there's our win. Now, hopefully we can win out of the other four starters, and it didn't happen very often. 
but Wayno's the MVP. You mentioned his numbers. He was having a Jack Flaherty-ass second half so far. Yeah, it's Wayno. I'm with you guys. The numbers say that it's Tyler O'Neal based on the the value that they place on him. No. We watch the games. We've seen what it means for them to have Wayno go out there. How many times? I think it's 10 times this year the Cardinals have lost a game going into an Adam Wainwright start, and he's like 9-1 in those starts. I'd like to see the stats for other pitchers because I guarantee he's at the top. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He, he's been the most valuable player on the Cardinals in 2021. And in the second half, to be able to get them back on track, yeah, it's Wayno and then everybody else. So full credit to him. He's been their most valuable player. There's no doubt about it in my mind. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Guys, if Tyler O'Neill continues performing this way, what kind of a contract do you see him getting? I think it depends. We talking about signing like this offseason? Or are we saying if he keeps performing like this and they wait until free agency, what kind of a contract could he get? Let's answer that last one because we've talked about the this offseason version 5 and 50, something like that, a million different times. He's a $100 million player. Plus, if he ends up continuing to perform like this. And stays healthy. Yeah. Health is going to be the biggest thing for him. Absolutely. If he's able to stay healthy and performs at this level moving forward, You're talking about a 280 hitter that can consistently hit 30 plus home runs per season. Yeah, that guy with gold glove defense, by the way, Andy can steal 15 to 20 bags a year. That guy will get 20 to 30 million dollars a season. He'll get like a Justin Upton type contract. His was five years for 160. Probably get more than that. I think. And that was in what? 2014, 2018. That was his contract at the age of 30 but right there that's why i'm hesitant of signing it because of the justin upton deal right because like look what happened to justin upton after he got that contract that's why if i'm doing i'm gonna stick to this i'm gonna let the arbitration play itself out he's my property he's not gonna cost me as much as it would be if we signed him to an extension i'm gonna let it play itself out for the next few years i think uh the, the contract that i would look at as being the basis and he might get more than this George Springer, six years, $150 million last offseason. That's the kind of deal that you could be looking at for Tyler O'Neill if you wait until free agency to get it done. Um, and the price of business only keeps going up. So it, it could be six years and $180 million. I mean, you're talking about a big money player if he continues playing in this way. I can't believe Justin Upton's only 33. Yeah, I feel like he's, he's like been 37. <laughs> uh, last one for you guys from the 314. Alex, what do you think Zach Sanford's role is going to be for the Blues this year? It feels like they tried to do everything they could to replace the roles that he was playing last year. Where does he fit into the 2021 roster? It's going to be interesting, man. That's why uh, this training camp is going to be really intriguing because Zach Sanford's role changed when Tarasenko returned to the team. Because if Tarasenko would have been moved, I would have said he's competing for the third line. And he'll probably get the fourth line or he'll be a scratch that goes in and out right now. I'd say he's competing for a fourth line. And even that, I don't know if he matches the fourth line role for the team because we saw the defensive struggles he had last season. And that fourth line's the identity line. Um, and you got guys who are fighting for it. I mean, Kyle Clifford's going to be fighting for the spot. He knows what's at risk. Uh, Dakota Joshua, again, played really well. So I think Zach Sanford's role going into camp is competing for a fourth line role. And I think at the end of camp is going to be you're a guy who will plug and play if we need you. So... He's not starting over any of these guys. Uchnevich, Saad, Peron, Kairu, Tarasenko. All those guys are for sure playing over Sanford. If he has a great camp, maybe he's able to take that third line spot from Bozak and Bozak starts on the fourth line. But I think that's the only spot that's even 
potentially available. But you know, I don't even know if Bozak slated for the third line. I think Barbashev slated for the third line. I think they're going to give Barbashev a shot there. And and then maybe Bozak's on the fourth fourth line. line And you're going to have a Dakota Joshua on that fourth line. And then again, Kyle Clifford's going to be fighting for that spot. Guys, Clem Costin has no other place to go other than here. Like, I know he can go to the AHL, but like, that's not benefiting him anymore. Man, they've got some really intriguing roster battles going into the season. And look, I brought up James Neal's name to JR. And I know JR said it's a long shot. And I would agree with him. But there's a reason they brought him over on a PTO because he brings some leadership and he is a big body plays power forward. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Better to forget it coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next last night, that's the type of game that the, the Cardinals do not win in the first half of the season. And there's two reasons why we'll tell you what they are next on 101 ESPN. And one, one, two, two three. To more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Ground ball right side. Goldie there. A flip. Garcia there. Nine in a row for St. Louis. 11 games above the 500 mark and win number 200 in the career of John Lester. You having fun yet? I mean, this is what it's all about. Congratulations to John Lester, who was fantastic through six innings. That's a big win for the Cardinals. They win 5-2 to last night against the Milwaukee Brewers. They have won nine straight for the first time since 2004. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Better to forget it coming up in about 10 minutes. Alex, that's a game the Cardinals don't win in June. And here's why. Two, point, two, two big things here. Two keys. Number one... The pitchers you used yesterday, none of them were on the roster in June. So that's a big portion of this. John Lester, Cody Whitley, TJ McFarlane, Luis Garcia. Those are four guys that have been added to this roster since all of those pitching woes in the month of June that have all stabilized things in a big, big way. The other thing that happened last night that is completely different than what you saw in the middle of June is the offense. Not only not only did they give the Cardinals a chance early on, They also tacked on late, and this is something that they had a big issue with early in the season. The Cardinals scored two runs in the first inning, and previously, Alex, in June, in May, at the end of May, that would have been it. It would have been over from there offensively. Last night, you add on another run in the sixth, you add on another run in the seventh, and you add on another run in the eighth to be able to go to Luis Garcia at the back end of that one to get a save That is the difference with the Cardinals right now. You've got stabilized pitching with guys that are throwing strikes. They uh, had zero hits and zero earned runs allowed in the last three innings of that game. The bullpen had just one walk. It was the leadoff walk by Cody Whitley in the eighth inning of that one. And you're able to get the added runs at the back end of the game. Those are the two biggest differences between what's happening right now for the Cardinals and what took place whenever they weren't winning. Yeah, I mean, they avoided the head dip problem there. I mean, as soon as Milwaukee tied things up in the second inning, 
you, uh, this team two months ago in June, they're giving up probably three more runs in the third inning because they allowed the team to come back and you're sitting there going, oh, this is done for. But John Lester come back, comes back out in the third, shuts it down, gets through cleanly, get into the bullpen. But you're right. The main point, the main takeaway from that team last night of why we're all buying back in is the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning. The ability to still score runs and score runs in a different way than they've mm-hmm. scored before, right? Like, you're not getting the home runs there. You're getting on and you're getting the big time moments. You're getting the clutch moments because usually when they score runs late, they're home runs and you're like, okay, well that was what you wanted to see, but you're not getting guys in scoring position. So the fact that they were able to do that. And then the fact that the bullpen was able to shut it down, Luis Garcia getting the save. I mean, that was that engulfed why people need to be back on the bandwagon. Because, again, you did that against the first-place team in the NL Central. So that was the symbolism in terms of the actions on the field. There was also some symbolism in the changes that have been made to this roster off of the field yesterday via their transactions. So the Cardinals decided yesterday, after our show, during the fast lane, to DFA Daniel Ponce de Leon. We're going to miss him. Uh, An incredible story. And and in all seriousness on the front end of this, Daniel Ponce de Leon is a success story. And what he was able to do in coming back from what was a traumatic injury for him, and it was not just a situation where his baseball career was potentially over, we weren't sure what was going to happen to Daniel Ponce de Leon, the person. And he had the book that we talked to him about and everything that ensued after that particular moment uh, in spring training. If you missed that conversation with him, I'd check that out on the podcast page uh, whenever you get a chance. But Daniel Ponce de Leon, unfortunately, on the field, just was not living up to expectations. He was not throwing strikes. He was getting hit really hard. And the Cardinals clearly didn't trust him. They would go seven, eight, nine, ten days between him go getting any sort of innings. So yesterday they decided to finally make the move and DFAM. And Michael Gersh told the St. Louis Post Dispatch, quote, We're at the point in the season where we need everybody to be in a role where they can contribute. The more we looked at it, we just weren't sure where Ponce would be used at this point. We made sure everybody in the bullpen was somebody that we would be comfortable using, end quote. You can read between the lines there a little bit. Mike Schultz didn't trust Daniel Ponce de Leon, nor should he have at this point in the season. And there was a point in time in June where I'm not sure Mike Schultz trusted anybody other than Alex Reyes, Giovanni Gallegos, and Genesis Cabrera. The difference right now, Alex, is he can go to the the bullpen and I don't think Mike Michael Gersh is speaking out of turn there. I think he basically trusts anybody that he's going to in the bullpen. And that is a vast difference than the team that we saw in mid-June. So when we're talking about some of the changes, and yesterday we said we got to talk about this team completely differently, as if it's almost two different seasons, this is what we're talking about. The guys that they were relying upon when things were going poorly for this team, they're not here anymore. They're either injured, they're in the minors, or they've been DFA'd because they were completely ineffective, and they found guys to join the roster that are able to help them in ways that are meaningful right now. Yeah, there's two guys that are in the bullpen. Well, I guess three. I mean, Justin Miller is still in there, and I don't know if anybody really trusts him in any scenario, but I was looking at two guys. You're looking at Andrew Miller, who you've only seen twice in the month of September, and the last time you saw him, he gave up a home run and three hits, so... You're you're sitting there going, okay, well, you don't really trust this guy, and you have your lefties in your bullpen with McFarlane and Hennessy Cabrera, but look, I, I mean, it's no coincidence that they didn't trust Ponce. I mean, he had two clean innings in September, and those were both against the Dodgers. 
but against the competition that you were fighting with, he was walking guys still. I mean, you don't have guys who walk anybody in the bullpen right now. I mean, it's clean strikes, contact, outs. Ponce was still throwing balls. Ponce was still walking guys, and you just can't go to that right now. So it really does stink because I loved the Ponce de Leon story, and I really thought this was a guy who was going to turn into a rotation pitcher for the Cardinals. It felt like a devil magic type of player. I tried it at some point this year. And it just never panned out for him. And whatever it may be, whether it was just in the circumstance where the team he was at and he wasn't succeeding because we've seen that with Cardinals players where they go elsewhere and they have success or it was just, man, it wasn't there for him anymore, but he just couldn't throw strikes and it, it plagued him all season long. So it was bound to happen at some point, especially with the outburst and the dugout of him and Yachty. You mentioned the, uh, the, the guys that maybe they still don't trust the two Millers and then Brandon Waddell, who is now on the big league roster. That was the corresponding move yesterday. I would imagine two of those three are going to be either sent down or DFA'd whenever the Cardinals decide to bring back Dakota Hudson and Jack Flaherty. So it, even even with those guys, I, I would guess it's probably going to be Miller, Justin Miller and Brandon Waddell are the two that are on the outside looking in. So the one guy that you're still going to have questions about moving forward is Andrew Miller, and he's the only one in uh, on your entire pitching staff, really, that you've got legit questions about moving forward. That is... Kudos to John Mosaylock and Michael Gersh, honestly, for them to be able to completely rehabilitate this pitching staff over the course of the last 60 to 75 days. That's that's remarkable. And they did so on the fly with a lot of veteran guys that people around the league decided weren't good enough to be a part of their big league club. It's it's a hell of a job that they've been able to do, and it's a credit to them that the Cardinals are in the spot that they are. It was late. I wish they would have done it earlier than they did, but the Cardinals are in this spot because they were able to finally utilize this, the strength of the team, which is their defense, by finding guys that can go out there and throw some some strikes. So credit for credit to them. The Cardinals right now are in a much better spot than they were two, three months ago. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it. Coming up next. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start with this one, boys. Bet it or forget it, Tom Brady will break the all-time record for passing touchdowns in a season this year. He's already at nine this season. Mm -hmm. What's the all-time record? I think it's 55. Yeah, I'll bet it. That guy ain't running the ball ever this season. He's just going to be throwing it nonstop. Guys, Gronk is a difference maker right now. You get four touchdowns in two weeks. 55 by Peyton Manning back in 2013. Yeah, he'll Glad break I that. Had that one on the- yeah, he'll break that. Brady's at nine already? Mm-hmm. Holy cow. We're going to do quick math here. That's that's not very quick. 34 and a half a game? No, I'm trying to do how many away he is. He's 44 away. Not no, quite. No. 47 46. away. <laughs> no, 46 away. 46 away from Ty. That's why you don't do math on air, kids. Yeah, uh, I'll forget it. I, I don't think he will. I, I think he's going to slow down at some point. Defense is on pace are... for 77. So I would say that's probably accurate. Yeah. 
probably going to slow down a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he'll slow down. I don't think he'll get the Doubtful. record. I think defenses will start to adjust. They played who they play. They played the Falcons last week. Could they play week one? Oh, Dallas. Yeah. So I, I, I'll go against that. I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll get there. Who they got this week? Rams. Oh, do they? That's yeah. a fun game. Ooh, that's a really fun. That'll matchup. be a four touchdown Afternoon. game. Yeah, for Stafford. Oh, they've got they've got a fun upcoming schedule. Ooh, they've got, they got a fun uh, schedule. <laughs> I don't know why Ooh. it just happened to me, but I, I got very excited about this. So they've got the Rams on Sunday in LA, and then the following week they go to New England. Ooh. He's gonna throw at least six touchdowns against the Patriots. He's got an extra game too this season. Yeah, he's gonna break it. He's definitely breaking it. I think that's gonna Don't happen. To Tanner, Tanner picked the Lions last night. Yeah, that's a good hey, point. They were in it Lions couldn't stop Aaron Jones. Did you know that Tom Brady, after this season, will have more passing touchdowns in his forties than he did in his twenties? I, I did actually. BK brought this up yesterday. <laughs> Tom Brady threw 147 touchdowns in his 20s. He has thrown 134 touchdowns in his 40s. He wasn't with Giselle in the, his 20s, right? That's a good point. It's a very good oh, point. you think that's it? That's exactly what it is. He played 95 games in his 20s. He's played 65 so far in his 40s. Yeah. He is better. He's a better football player in his 40s than he was in his 20s. None of it makes sense. I don't understand it. Giselle. <laughs> that's that's the key, huh? That's that's, that's, that's the, the secret. That's the only thing you need to know. It's all about the avocado ice cream. I think he would break this in 16 games this year. I do too. Really? Forget the 17th game. I I think Tom Brady is. And if he's gonna break it, I think it, this is on purpose. I I don't think they're running the ball inside of the 10. And if he if he's gonna break it, I hope he does break it at the 16th week. Same. So, so no nobody asterisk. sits there and says, oh well, the extra week this season. I'm almost willing to put money on it that he doesn't. Break you want to bet a six pack? Yeah. yeah we need that. to write these bets down. You still are going to owe me because the Texans are going to be better than the Jaguars. Oh, yeah. I, T-Bone. I, I, I took the Jags. Yeah, you took I? the Jags. Oof. T-Bone owes me something. I, I don't one. know what it is, but he owes me something on a bet. And then now T-Bone's going to owe us a six pack because Brady's breaking that at week 16. What? What's the one I owe you money? I don't know. You you make a lot of bets. Six way, five. This is the song for BK when he heard uh, when he was looking at the schedule for the who Tampa Bay. I'm so excited. This is Tanner's new thing. He just—he connects a song with the moment. The moment I heard BK get excited, I was like, "This is a perfect song." I've literally been stalling for three minutes over here trying to figure out guys how to download things. Six five stalling. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it. The Ravens will go further in the playoffs this year than the Chiefs. I'll forget this one. Patrick Mahomes is a monster in the playoffs. Like I go back to that Texans game against Deshaun Watson, where he was down and everyone was like, Oh, this is it. And then he just storms back. I, I think that was, I think Andy Reed will never make that mistake again that he made this past week and giving the ball to Clyde Edwards Hilaire and doing what Harbaugh did and just saying my quarterback's good enough to let him play. So I'm going to forget this one because I still think Mahomes and the chiefs are a better team. Yeah, I'm going to forget this one, too. Baltimore's just so beat up, too. And I know they won on, on what was it, Sunday night? But they're they're so beat up. They're missing their top corner. They're missing three running backs. They were missing, I think, two of their starting offensive linemen. They'll get them back, it seems. But I, I, I'm not going to bet against Kansas City. I, I still think they're the favorites to win the AFC. They just got so many weapons around Mahomes. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for better to forget it. Better to forget it. The Cardinals are the best value bet. 
to win the National League this year. Oh, hell yeah. Bet that. Here's the odds over on FanDuel Sportsbook. The Dodgers are at plus 150, which means if you bet $100, you would win $150. The Giants are 3-1. to one. The Brewers are 3.5-1, to one, so you bet $100, they, you would win 350 on them. Braves at 6-1. to one. Cardinals at 21 to one and the Phillies are at 27 to one. Which one of those is the best bet in your mind? Cardinals are the best bet. I mean, the way that they're playing, it it is sincere. Nobody wants to go up against this team right now. And with those odds, yeah, that's the best bet you can have. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I got, I'm not going to lie. I put that money down when I was out in Vegas for them to win the world series. I think at 50 to one, I thought "Ah, I just got a couple bucks. I'll put it down. How much did you put on it? 25. So I put that I, I put that down and I was like, yeah, you know, 25. I don't know if it's gonna really happen. Guys, I'm feeling really good about how much my how much now. is your if you win? Nine hundred something, I thought. Damn, that's nice. I put it down whenever they were at twenty one to one, and I was like, Oh, this is gonna be great odds. They're they're definitely not getting worse than this. Yeah, didn't didn't exactly live up to that. That was for the World Series. Now they're twenty one to one to win the National League. They're forty two to one on FanDuel to. You to should win learn the World to Series. stop listening to yourself when it comes to betting and start listening <laughs> yeah. to me. That's a really really good point. All right, uh, bet it or forget it. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Bet it or forget it. Tyler O'Neill will eventually hit forty home runs in an individual season in a Cardinals uniform. Ah. <sighs> 40 what's he at? he's close to 30 i think he'll get there this year right he no? is at 28 right now yeah, so he'll probably get, get to 30 yeah i'll bet that i mean he missed some time due to injury and he got off to a slow start so if he's able to sustain this throughout a full year from what we've seen since that time he came off the il or in what was that early april then I think he can do it. So I'll bet that. I think he could be a 40-homer guy. I'll bet this, too. I think he can do more than 40. I mean, especially now hearing Wayno talk and him talk about being in the film room a lot more and working on his swings and working on pitch selection. I I, I think he could be a 45-plus guy. I I really do with with Tyler O'Neill. I mean, doesn't he give you all of the feels of, like, prime Chris Davis? Just with his power. Like, and I know he's a different player because he makes a lot more contact and a lot better in terms of OPS and defensively, but power-wise, he reminds me a lot of that. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. He, I'm not sure there's anybody really in the sport that has significantly more power than Tyler O'Neill right now. So really anything that you're going to ask me in terms of going over under the home runs, within reason, I'm probably going to go over just because he's got that kind of power. So, yeah, I I think he'll hit 40 home runs in a season at some point in his career. The only guys that have done that for the Cardinals in the last 20 years are Albert Pujols and Jim Edmonds. Edmonds did it twice. He had 42 back in 2000 and again in 2004. And then Albert did it six times in his Cardinals career. Going back to my betting one, someone said from the 618, don't ever listen to Alex. I dropped $100 on the Blues to win the Cup after the first game last year. That's a good point. It's a really good point because I was calling for a Stanley Cup after that one. 65780 from the 573. BK, if I send you $100 a week, will you just bet the opposite of whatever it was that you bet previously? That's smart. You'd make a lot of money then. It's a very, it's a winning strategy. It really is. Coming you mentioned real quick, you mentioned Tyler O'Neill's power. I think he has the second best power in National League, right behind Pete Alonzo. You'd take Alonzo over Tyler I so. O'Neill? I think I would take Tyler O'Neill over. I think I'd take Alonzo. I think he's got the best pure power. I just think he doesn't hit as many home yeah. runs. As but are O'Neal. we going power or all-around player? Pow- I was going power. Just power? Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I've seen that in the home. I hope Tyler O'Neill's in the home run derby next year. Because I, I wonder if we get to watch it. I wonder if he emerges like Pete Alonso did after he won the home run home run, home run title. The Say thing it. with O'Neill is his swing is just so quick, and I, I don't know, man. I I might go with O'Neill. He Homer. Yeah, I I think I might go with him. I'm a total homer, but I think I would go with him. Coming up in 15 minutes, time for the junk drawer. But coming up next, some NFL rapid reactions. If the Chiefs and Bucks both fail to make the Super Bowl, you take out the favorites right now for the Super Bowl. Who are the teams that will dethrone them? We'll talk about it in a few other quick hitters for the NFL next on 101 ESPN. Time for some NFL rapid reactions with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Packers take down the Lions last night, a game that Tanner had pegged. I mean, he couldn't have been more right about the way that that game went. Tanner, at what point did you feel like your bet was going to come through? About halftime. They were up. I know. Crowd I looked at too. that. I'm like, Tanner's probably was... going, I'm a genius. And Goff did not play bad in the first half. You know what? The Lions are fine. The, li- the Lions. All right, calm down over there. <laughs> no, they, they are, they're, though. They're not good, but they are better than I expected them to be. They need they need another weapon offensively to go with what TJ like Hawkins said. Yeah, but like, they have literally nothing. So you give them one weapon, but they need more help on the defensive side. Yeah. I mean, that's help. where they need. They need a lot of help defensively. They need like three receivers that are capable of playing in the NFL. They, and, they, and their cornerback. Well, their quarterback is fine. They I do mean, not have the worst quarterback situation in the league. No, that's when, Indianapolis. When he has yeah. when he has time to throw and they have a pretty good offensive line, Jared Goff is fine. He's like the 20th best quarterback in the league. You can get by with that. Um, but they're not as bad as I expected them to be, similar to the Houston Texans. Unfortunately, the Jaguars are much worse than I thought they would be. Whoa. What was the biggest takeaway you had from the Packers 35 to 17 win last night, Alex? Aaron Jones is a beast. Oh, yeah. Okay, I mean, that was a simple one. No, it's that the Green Bay Packers had an off week. And I think that was, I think it should have been expected. In week one, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, in week one. It should have been expected because, I mean, look, I know Aaron Rodgers is a pro. I mean, he's a future Hall of Famer. And he missed all of camp, but that shouldn't set him back. But. I mean, in all reality, you really didn't have Rodgers at all until week one, because if I'm not mistaken, he didn't play in any preseason action, did he? Mm -hmm. So there was going to be a little trial and tribulation. I didn't think it was going to be as bad as it was against the Saints. This is more the Green Bay Packers that we expected. So I just think they had an off week in week one. Yeah, I I agree with you there. My biggest takeaway was I don't think Green Bay is as good as we think they are. And I I think they'll win their division, but I think it's going to be because they're coasting. Nobody else in the division is going to challenge them. I think they're like the fourth, fifth best team in the NFC. I, I, do, I don't. I was not impressed with their win last night. They're playing I don't the Lions. disagree with them on that, though. I think the NFC West in its entirety is better than the Green Bay Packers. We're going to find out I'd next agree. week. Packers versus the San Francisco 49ers yeah. on Sunday night football. That's a really good game. And I, we've seen in the past. Is it as good as Tampa Bay versus the Rams? I mean, it's, ah! not, it's not that good. Let's be honest. It's hard to get that good. 49ers versus Packers, though, has been an issue for Green Bay in the past. Rodgers has gone back to San Francisco, and it has not gone well for him in recent years. I'm fascinated to see if they're able to look good this time around because that offense, last night it looked good in the second half, but for the first half it didn't look great. They need to get things going. And right now I'm middling on them. I am very much riding the fence on the Packers. I'm with you guys. I think I would probably take all four NFC West teams over them. I would definitely take the Bucks over them right now. 
Cowboys are right around the same to me as the Packers. I'd give a little bit of an edge to the offense on the Dallas side just because of the amount of weapons that they have compared to Green Bay. I think they're right in that mix for like the fourth through sixth team in the NFC right now. And the reason I came away is that is because the first half was not good. You can survive coming back a bad first half against the Lions, but you go up against a team like the Rams, the Buccaneers, hell, maybe even the 49ers on Sunday Night Football. One bad half could be just the difference between you winning that game and losing. But I think that's still figuring yourself out because you didn't have Rodgers at all throughout camp. Like, it felt like the second half, and I understand that game was Aaron Jones, and it's not more Aaron Rodgers, but, like, it felt like the second half was like, oh, they they remembered how to actually play like the yeah. Green Bay Packers. He did have the best throw that I've seen so far this year. That touchdown pass that he threw to yeah. Robert Tunyon, oh, my God, is that an unbelievable play. Speaking of last night's game, I've been really enjoying the Manning broadcast. I watched it again last night. They had Rob Gronkowski about midway through the game. And Gronk said something that I don't think I have ever heard any other NFL player admit while he's still playing. Do you ever watch Uh, film? And I said, no, I don't. I just run by guys. If if I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good. (laughs) So I don't know how to answer that. I don't watch film, but I do watch film when the the team is showing it. (laughs) So, uh, and every once in a while, I watch games like right now and study them. uh, (laughs) And I actually do go up to Tom because I know Tom watches like, I don't know, 40 hours of film a week. I go, Tom, who's covering me this week? What type of coverages are they doing? I go, that's why I love playing with you, Doc. You just know everything. I mean, it makes sense. First of all, he is a mongoon in himself. Like, yeah. he can do whatever he wants and manhandle people. But two, he's right. I mean, you have the human film room in Tom Brady, who, like, does nothing but watch film. So if you're Gronk, all you need to do is walk up, Tom, what do you want me to do here? And do it. Rob Gronkowski has 12 catches for 129 yards and four touchdowns in the first two weeks of the season. Is it 2012 again? Like, what are we doing here? This is absurd. Doesn't it make you so angry that, like, athletically, he is that, and, like, us, we can't hit a home run in softball. Correct. But we're right around the same age. Very frustrating. Yes, yes, it is. And I was not genetically blessed in the same way. No, I hit my peak in high school with basketball, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, I I have never been a particularly great athlete, so none of this should surprise anybody. T Bone's the athlete of the group, though. Gronk is pretty pitiful to say, guys. Gronk admitting publicly that he doesn't watch any film and just asks, asks Tom before the game, "Hey, who's covering me, and what kind of coverages do they run?" is an incredible thing to say publicly. Do you think Bruce Arians got as right as we seem on? the sideline when he heard that no because he's got four touchdowns in two games do you believe him do you, do you think he's telling the truth it's hard for me to believe that because like i don't see anybody in bill Belichick's system like not watching film but like i can see gronk being forced to sit in the film room sure when and, he's like, at, he, he said in that in that answer when i'm at the facility i'll watch film with the team but. yeah but away from it no i gar- i believe him 100 percent. there's no way gronk's going home to f- to study film Gronk's going home to like a Paul Pierce-esque party. <laughs> oh. Yeah, a lot of dancers. That did not go well for Paul Pierce. All right, sticking with some NFL rapid reaction here on 101 ESPN. Which of the teams in the AFC and NFC, if the Chiefs and Bucks fail to make it to the Super Bowl, Alex, do you think are most likely to dethrone them? So the two favorites Man. right now, even despite the loss on Sunday night, in my opinion, are still the Chiefs and the Bucks. If they don't win the Super Bowl this year, who's going to go? 
I think in the AFC, it's got to be Buffalo. I mean, I think the Browns took a step back after week two, um, defensively and offensively. I'm not sold on the Ravens. So I think on the AFC side, I would say Buffalo on the NFC side, man. That's the thing. I I think it's wide open because I I, want to say it could be the Rams. I want to say it could be the Seahawks, the 49ers. Honestly, I'm looking at that NFC West and then the Green Bay Packers. So just for for segment's sake, I'll say if it's not those two teams, I'll go Buffalo versus Rams. That's where I am. I, I think Buffalo's the team in the AFC. I know they had the rough week one game against Pittsburgh. I still think they're the best all-around team outside of Kansas City. I, I think it will be the Rams. If someone's going to dethrone Tampa Bay, I, I think it will be LA. We'll get a bit of a preview of that this week. But I think their offense, I mean, Stafford already looks like he's going fitting into that offense. Well, their defense is solid. I, I honestly believe, I know that we talked, I think it was yesterday, about how they had the rough game against Indy. I'll be honest, I think they overlooked Indy and said, ah, we don't really care about them. Let's get ready for Tampa Bay. And then they went, oh, crap, we, we actually have a game here today. We'll show, well, Now we got to pick it up. I'm going to be boring, but I'm going with you guys on the Rams in the NFC. They're the second most impressive NFC team that I've watched so far this year. I think close to them is the Cardinals, but... I just don't believe in that team the way that I do the Rams. I've seen this from the Rams before. I know Sean McVay's a good coach. I've seen Matt Stafford play at a really high level before and sustain that over a course of a full season. I'm not sure on the Cardinals. I'm not ready to buy into that full board just yet. So I'm, I'm hesitant to do so right now, especially after their defensive performance against the Vikings. We'll see. They play against the Rams coming up in two weeks. I think that's going to tell us a whole hell of a lot more about the Cardinals. In the AFC, that's where things get a little more difficult. I'm still on the Browns. I think that's my team coming out of the AFC AFC right now. I've got the Chiefs as the best team in the AFC, the Browns as the second, and then I think there's a third tier behind both of them with the Bills, the Ravens. I'm getting close to, but not yet ready to include the Broncos, Chargers, and Raiders in that tier as well. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I need another couple of weeks. I need to see a full month of those teams competing like this. But those are the teams that are battling their way to get into that group. The Raiders are my dark horse, I think. I I like Cleveland, but I I don't know. I'm just not sold on them yet. I'm not sold on the Las Vegas Raiders either. But watching them in person, that defense was impressive against uh, Baltimore. Derek Carr looks good. So they're kind of my dark horse. I'm with you. I need a little bit more of those. Cowboys are my dark horse in the NFC. All right, last one. NFL rapid reactions after week two has officially come to a conclusion. By the way, you'll hear Thursday night football right here on 101 ESPN Panthers versus Texans. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun one. If you could place a bet right now on any one player to win the MVP, given their odds, who would you go with? I'll read off a few of these for you guys. That way you've got it in front of you. And so the listeners kind of have an idea of who the favorites are at the moment. Kyler Murray currently listed as the favorite to win NFL MVP at five and a half to one. Patrick Mahomes second at six to one. Tom Brady at seven to one. And then you've got Matthew Stafford, your guy Tanner, at 11 to one. Roger still at 13 to one. Josh Allen at 14 to one. Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson all at 16 to one. And then after that, you start getting more long shots. What was Tom Brady? Tom Brady was seven to one. He's got the third best odds right now. I want to say Dak, but I feel like Dak, the fact that he missed last year, I feel like he won't win MVP and he'll win like comeback player of the year. 
But in terms of those odds, I'm going to stick with my Dak pick. I'm going to stick with it. 15 to 1, you said it was? Yeah, I'm going to stick with that one because I think if he continues what he did in week one, and I know he got away from it a little bit in week two, you continue to throw those touchdowns, you're going to see him kind of skyrocket. I don't really trust Kyler Murray for an entire season, so I'll say Dak. I think there's value there in Josh Allen, but... I think I'm going to go with Russell Wilson. If I want a really good value pick, he's throw, he's averaging over 300 yards a game in the first two, six touchdowns, no picks. I think that loss to Tennessee was a reminder that he's going to have to just be at another level. Their defense is not that great. So I think Russell Wilson's going to have to take over, do some more cooking. That's why I take him as your MVP. A guy to keep an eye on. And again, I'm not all in on him just yet. Are you going to say Derek Carr? Derek Carr 20 to 1 is interesting. Wow. He leads the league right now in, in passing yards by 150. <laughs> uh, honestly, I wouldn't argue. It. He's at 820 passing yards so far. The next closest is at 680. I mean, it's it's amazing how much further he is in front of the rest of the pack. I I don't think he's going to end up winning it. But if you're looking for a little bit more of a long shot, he's probably the guy. The one that I would feel the most comfortable, though, putting an actual bet on would be Tom Brady right yeah. now. Seven to one. Same. Tom Brady to win the MVP. We know the Bucks are going to be very good. We know they're probably going to win 13-ish games this year. That's going to get him into the competition. And if nobody else takes it, like last year, uh, Kyler Murray, there was a point in time when he was the MVP. And then it was Russ. And you had like a million different guys that kind of split the award at some point over the course of the season. And then at the end, kind of look around and wonder who's going to be the guy. Tom Brady could be that guy this year if nobody else is able to actually grab the award. So I'm going to go with Tom Brady, especially if he's able to break the touchdown record like we all said in the last segment. I think he could get it, especially at this age, given what he's doing with the new team. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, MLB Network had an interesting conversation yesterday about which shortstop will get the most money this offseason. There's something the Cardinals could do this year during the season that would help them out to sign one of these guys. We'll tell you what that is coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. So here's a question for you Wait guys. Wait a minute. I think we should ban BK after yesterday because he kind of ruined my True. my True. afternoon slash evening. Your USB measurement joke story. I, I get that. That's 100% fair for it, you to take Does that this stance. involve a urethra? No. Okay. We're good so then. if you saw a car on the side of the road, maybe here in this parking lot, for example, and you needed a new ride, Tanner. Maybe this would happen to you, right? You, you need a new car, and you yeah. don't want to spend the price of going out and getting a new one. That's a pain. And you see a car that's out here, and it has a sign in the front that says free car. Keys are in the ignition. Just step on in. You've got a new car. What do you do? <laughs> Not trust it. Do you take the car? No. No. That car probably has a warrant out for its arrest and the driver will be arrested. That's a good point. Or it doesn't work at all. Or there's drugs in the back of it or there's somebody in the back of it ready to stab you. So come on, man. Watch a horror film. Some of that basically came true. Oh, okay, good. Down in Copia County. (laughs) Oh, God. uh, A gentleman (laughs) ran into this situation. He saw a car that had a sign in it that said free car. It had the keys in the ignition. He decided, you know what? Today's my lucky day. 
I'm going to go ahead and take this car. This is my new ride. He drove it all the way down to where he needed to go. Popped the um, trunk. Popped the tr- trunk drawer. Trunk, the trunk drawer or the junk drawer? What are we in? Popped the trunk. The trunk drawer. And found a 34-year-old gentleman in it. Nice. He was not alive. Well, obviously. His name was Anthony McCrillis. McCrillis. And Anthony ran into some hard times. He was murdered. Okay. This car was free because it had a, uh, a like body a in the back. This sounds like an Italian mafia hit. Yep. Um, unfortunately, that gentleman is now dead, and they are trying to determine the cause of death. There is now an investigation into what exactly took place with our guy, Anthony. R.I.P. Anthony McCrillis. We were going to miss you, man. Here's Lesson a- learned. If you find a car that says free car and the keys are in the ignition, check. maybe ask some more questions before you decide to drive off and with it. And make sure you check the trunk drawer to make sure. I can tell you what happened there. That Anthony McCrillis was actually on his way to the bottom of some lake, and uh, I guess he found a way to um, deter his route, and the gentleman who was driving Anthony McCrillis' body said, no, I'm just going to leave this here, and I figure if I write free car on it, I'm out. Yeah, this guy, Dan Peacock, who was the one that ended up driving off on it, or in it, said, I never stopped and look or anything, but I knew it was kind of unusual. I wish I would have looked into it a little bit further. I might have been able to help them out a little bit. I mean, don't you hear the body, like, hit the trunk once you start driving it? I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how this guy thought that nothing would happen. Like, yeah, oh, sure, free car with the keys in the ignition. I'm sure everything's up to standards on I'm this always, one. I'm always suspicious even when I see just for sale. That, yeah. that scares me away. This guy really thought he was just going to drive away with a free car. Fair question from the text line, Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Did he at least get to keep the car for his troubles? No, no, this bad boy's getting impounded Can't for they, sure. like, crime scene clean it and be like, yeah, here you go. Here's your free car. Yeah, got I don't, the body I don't, I don't think this is a finder's though? keeper's rule. I don't yeah. think that's quite how it, it works with a car really that you found with that? a body in the yeah. back. Yeah. No. You know that car was like involved with some shady stuff. I want that car. Yeah, it was involved with a murder. Yeah, but there's there's more to the story than just a murder. Was it involved in some type of drug smuggling? I mean, was this involved in an Italian hit? I'm a little concerned why you're getting so excited. Because <laughs> Alex was involved. Alex, what do you have for us? I have junk drawer, my man. Hey, man, just because there's two vowels at the end of my main name doesn't mean I'm killing people. Um... You guys have all been on a flight. Seen your anger, yeah. man. That's true. How was the flight? It was good. I, you... I determined that if my... Not when, or what did I say? I don't really know. When my radio career S- fails, when this... I'm let go, that I'm going to become a flight attendant. This was a rhetorical question. Just say it was great. Anyway, oh, was did you pay for legroom? Like we no, told you. No. You've paid for legroom before, right? Because I've never room. flown on Spirit before, so I haven't had to. But yeah, I typically, I always try to go with the Southwest uh, exit row, well, which I'm gonna, means that I get free extra like I'm going to pay, I'm going to paint a scenario for you guys and tell me what you would do. You guys pay for the extra leg room sure. on a seat. You're comfortable, headed for a six hour flight. And then a family of four comes on board and they got to separate two in your row, two in the row next to you. Okay. Baby's crying, kid's upset, wants to sit by daddy, mommy wants to sit by daddy, and you're seeing this, and they ask if you wouldn't mind switching them. No. I paid for this extra leg room, man. I'm not giving that up. Well, this is what happened on a, uh, a flight to Seattle. That's on you. You should have paid for the extra leg room next to one guy, another. Guy paid for leg room, refuses to move so the family can sit together on the flight. Yeah. 
I don't blame him. I don't think he's in the wrong. Come here. on, that's a jerk move. That's a jerk move. If this hey, was no, Southwest she... and I didn't pay for any extra yeah. and you just wanted to sit next what to your family, guy, more than happy to what do What if the so guy offered seating? to pay you money? What if he said, if hey, he... I'll pay you extra whatever you pay it's for your not, flight? It's six hours, man. This is oh, six would, hours of my if life. If he offered me money for what I paid for, I would do it. But the, there's a three-year-old boy about crying. about the money anymore. There's a three-year-old wow. boy crying with his mom because he wants to sit next to daddy. Yeah, and well, you're going to be the jerk that says, huh, should have paid more money for it. Yeah. Should have got you seats she, that are next to one another. You, you don't or have, the dad can switch the mom. If he, he wants, wants to sit to, by mommy and daddy. Then get three seats next to one wow. another next time. You, sir, are the devil. I mean, this seems... Fair six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line. If am I, am op- I in the wrong here? If they offer, let's clarify too. If they offer you money to make up for what you paid extra no. for the leg room, it's the principle of it. I paid to sit here. I want the extra leg room. Now, do they have the extra leg room as well on the other side? Or that I don't know. In case the guy that goes to like a ball game and he has seats in the upper deck, and there's like three people in all of section and they're talking to each other and, no, across no, no, but, them, and they're sitting in his seat, and he walks up when there's all these no, other empty seats. No, he goes, that's, that's my seat. I paid for that. Oh, you're really that different. jerk. No, that's very. You're different. That These are jerk. not similar situations. Oh, very similar. We're on a six-hour flight. I'm assuming you're going basically LA to New game. York. Well, yeah, but I can just sit right in front of him. It changes nothing for me. That's my spot. I got the extra leg room because I paid for it. If you didn't have the foresight to think, hey, my three-year-old might cry because he's not sitting next to mommy and daddy, that's on you, man. Got it. <laughs> Blank those kids. Pay for your own stuff. That's Blank those saying. people. Man, brutal. A lot of anger. Brutal. I mean, listen, like I, I respect the fact that these people have children that they've got to take care of and they can do so on their own time when I they w- don't have to bother me to do so. I wonder how much of the answer would. <laughs> and I'm the jerk painted because I wear headphones in a grocery store. I wonder, That's totally different. I man. wonder if BK's opinion will change when he has children. I mean, I don't oh, have kids, but I was willing no, to do it. I would oh, have the foresight to know, hey, if I have a child and I'm flying, I'm going to get if I'm if I'm in a situation where it is assigned seating. Uh, OK, but I'm going to pay for three seats that are next to. One OK, another. but let's do the opposite of this. Then what if it's where it's first come, first serve and you paid for, you know, what is it like? A class, class a that gets to go on yeah. board, and then this family's like C class, and there's no seats together. Oh, that's totally different. You'd move for him? Yeah, of course. If it's if it's open seating, like Southwest is what I typically fly, yeah, and like it's, where it's first seating. come first. And if I'm, they have the A list thing that you can get for your credit card or whatever. I don't have that, but if I did, because I spent a lot of money and I made a lot of money, and they were the last ones on the plane, and it was a family of three, and it was just me sitting in one row. There were three seats available. If I move and there was one seat available right in front of me. Yeah, by all means, I'll switch for him. BK, I have no issues with BK that. BK was the guy who was on the final lifeboat on the Titanic, and it's women and children first. And they looked at him. They say, sir, can you move and get the kids on? He's like, he's nah, blank those kids. A, he's, yeah, no, he's the guy that grabs a kid. And Rose can get up out of here. You going to flip Rose off that door? Yeah, she's she's oh, done. I thought it's you were going to be. What's the guy that Rose was originally engaged to? Doesn't he like take a kid on the boat and claims it's his? Oh my God, we're that sounds we're, like BK. How did we get to Titanic? I don't even have the music ready. I'll have it ready in the next second. <laughs> no, we don't want to hear it. Yeah, I'm sorry that I'm sorry that you weren't prepared for Moral the kids. Moral of the story to today, to ladies and gentlemen, is BK 
blank those kids. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 10 minutes or so, we'll talk about the future of Scott Perunovich. Craig Berube was on with the fast lane yesterday. He had an interesting comment on Perunovich's defense. We'll talk about that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, MLB Network said something interesting about the shortstop market and how it could pertain to the Cardinals. We'll tell you what they could do this season to help their offseason next on 101 ESPN. On ESPN. Alex Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 10 minutes, we'll talk about Scott Perunovich. Craig Berube had some interesting comments on him yesterday on the fast lane. We'll let you hear that coming up in 10 minutes or so. But MLB Network had a good conversation the other day about the shortstop market, Alex. And we've talked about this a million different times, and we'll talk about it a million more over the next three months, I would have to imagine. They talked about which guy is likely to make the most in the shortstop market. They started out, and we don't have this particular portion in the audio, but uh, it was Joel Sherman of the New York Post who said he thinks there's a strong connection between Trevor Story and the Texas Rangers. The Rangers would like to add a shortstop in the offseason. Story is apparently from the area, has an interest in returning back to the area. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And then here's where he went from there. There's a lot of people who think that the Tigers are ready to make a big move. A.J. Hinch managed Correa. Like, suddenly, if you start putting them on teams like that, then all of a sudden, I would say it opens up for someone like Seager. So he thinks Seager could be the guy that ends up getting the most money because if you've got the obvious connection between Correa and his former manager and A.J. Hinch up in Detroit, and you've got the connection between Trevor Story and the Texas Rangers, if they actually want to go to those specific spots, that could suppress their market a little bit. And now you've got Seager, who could be the last real remaining top-end option on the market. I think Simeon's probably going to end up back in Toronto, you would have to assume, or at least that's the most likely destination And then the last two options would be Javi Baez and Corey Seager. And out of those two, Seager's going to have the larger market available to him. Guys, if Seager ends up having that type of a situation, I don't think the Cardinals will win that kind of bidding war. Because the Yankees are going to want to add a especially left-handed bat at shortstop this offseason. They've officially made the move now. Um, they, they, They have an opening this offseason for a new shortstop if they want to add one. There's going to be a lot of other high, big-time market teams that would love to add a guy like Corey Seager. If that's where they're at, he's going to be really tough to be able to come in. And then they talked about what the playoffs could mean for a guy like Corey Seager, and I found this to be interesting. We are going to have a postseason, and both guys have been good postseason performers in the past. And, you know, you get more excited. Like, if one of these guys leads his team to or through the World Series, and, you know, Seager was the World Series MVP last year. Right. Like that, that, you know, your team that suddenly has money to spend, Yankees, whoever, the postseason, October can matter. Here's something. Maybe a little tinfoil theory, if you will. I didn't allow it, but that's okay. The Cardinals could help their own case of being able to sign Corey Seager this offseason. How so, BK? If in the wild card game, they go up against the Dodgers 
and beat the Dodgers and prevent Seager from going on any kind of a run in the postseason. And then Arenado walks over to him and says, hey, you lost to us. Come over and play for us. Yeah. Just like what you saw with the Golden State Warriors and Kevin Durant, they started those conversations then. This is your version of Kevin Durant. This is the missing link. This is the missing piece is a left-handed shortstop who hits for a ton of power and can be a significant piece of your infield for the next decade, along with Arenado and Goldie and eventually Jordan Walker. This is the piece. But he's right. Joel Sherman is. If he goes on a run in the postseason similar to what he did last year, that's going to continue to increase that value for him. He's already one of the top options on the market. If he goes on another run in the playoffs, he will be the top option on the market by a pretty wide margin. I still think, though, that if those other guys sign and go where they want to go, Corey Seager is still going to be looked at as the main piece, so it's going to be the bidding war. But I think he's also going to look at it and say, no, I'm going to get the money that these guys got, if not more, because I'm a World Series champion and I'm the MVP from the World Series. You know, injuries be damned for him. He's going to find a way to get paid. I like the idea, though, because if you bounce him early and you're the team that bounces him, he gets a little bit of taste of St. Louis. And look, he's performed against St. Louis before, but Corey Seager, who is looking at his current team that went out there and got Trey Turner and has all of these pieces, he's a free agent. You lose to a team in a one-game wild card. You're playing with somebody from St. Louis. You're also playing with a guy who was a legend in St. Louis, so he's already hearing the phenomenal stories I think if you're if you want a shortstop, your best bet is Corey Seager. But to get that done, you have to perform against him in that wild card game. Yeah, it'd be huge for them to be able to do so. Seager, by the way, this year once again is batting 285, and this is the thing that I think stands out to me, Alex. He's got a 380 on base percentage so far this season. 380. That would be far and away the best on the Cardinals, and it's there's really no close second on this team right now. If you were to put a batting order together, and I know we all really like Edmundo Sosa right now, but imagine if Edmundo Sosa was like 20% better offensively. That's what we're talking about with Corey Seager right now. If you add him into the middle of your order, you bat him third. So you go Edmund, for example, Goldie, Seager, Arenado, and then Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson and Yadier Molina is now batting seventh for you. Man, that is, that's how you go from good to great. This team right now is pretty darn good. They're a lot of fun to watch. They're on a hell of a run right now. If you add somebody like Corey Seager, that's how you become a legitimately great team right there. And it will potentially come down to, A, what happens with Trevor Story, what happens with Carlos Correa, who the options are for those teams, and whether or not they're open to options other than the Tigers and the Rangers, for example. And then, B, what you're able to do against Corey Seager in the playoffs. Because if they end up, if the Dodgers do, in the wild card game directly, head-to-head against the Cardinals, people already know what Seager can do in the playoffs. If he does that back-to-back years, though, oh boy, that bidding war could become even more extravagant than what we originally anticipated. And we already think he's going to be a 200 plus million dollar player. Potentially. I, you know, we mentioned teams that uh, could be in this hunt for them. I think a team that we have to really consider too to be a sleeper might be the Seattle Mariners, because I, I think they are going to look to add a piece. We've heard their GM come out and say, uh, Hey, we're going to go out. We're going to spend. I would not be surprised if they're a team that adds into this bidding war. And we talked about the Yankees and stuff as well. Don't be surprised if they want to jump in as well and try and drive up the price on the Cardinals. Yeah, you know, the the interesting part with this one, too, is um, Edmundo Sosa's play as of late. My concern 
is that it's going to get to the point where the Cardinals offense continues to roll. Tyler O'Neill has taken that next step. Dylan Carlson's taken the next step. And the Cardinals are going to sit here and say, well, look how good our offense was. We don't need one of those shortstops. Edmundo Sosa's there. And that's a real concern for me because you do need another bat in this lineup. And we talked with Jim Duquette last week, Friday, when you were out, BK, and he made a a great point that T-Bone and I discussed. You got to have, you got to have insurance or backup opportunities for you. And that's what Edmundo Sosa is. He's not your primary solution. You have to go get another solution and then have Edmundo Sosa there for you if things don't work out. You got to see some type of effort there, and you really need a big time bat at some point. And I think that's where this comes into play, regardless of what happens in this offseason. You have to be a player in this. Yeah, the, I think this reminds me a little bit of the Giants situation. The Giants went into this season, and people weren't really buying them as a legit contender. But you looked at the way that they have constructed that roster, they just have talent all over the place. And one thing that they're willing to do is they've got some interchangeable pieces, whether it be lefty-righty splits or specific matchups that they like. A guy like Lamonte Wade Jr., he's only played in 97 games this year. But when he gets out there, he's very splitty, as Mike Schilt likes to talk about. When he gets out there, he's a hell of a player. And that's something that you like to have coming off of your bench. You like opportunities for guys like Edmundo Sosa. He's a good player. He should, he deserves a role on a major league roster. If he goes into next season as your utility infielder, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You having so much talent on your roster that a guy that hit close to 300 for you this year and played great defense at shortstop, him being uh, demoted to a bench role, that just tells you exactly how good you are offensively, you know? So I I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing if that's the way that they decide to go. And I do tend to agree with Jim Duquette. If you can have a little bit more stability at shortstop, now you look around the diamond, I know exactly what I'm going to get from Paul Goldschmidt. I know what I'm getting out of Nolan Arenado. I know what Corey Seager brings to the table on an annual basis. Now I'm feeling a little bit more certainty in my lineup, which is something that we haven't said about the Cardinals since 2011 to 2013, we, we really haven't had that kind of certainty in the top six in the lineup since then. So I still think it's important that they add that big bat to the middle of their order. I do think it's maybe less urgent than it was at the beginning of the season, but that doesn't make it any less important. And I think Seeger has, from start to finish, really been the guy that makes the most sense for them. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. But coming up next... Craig Burby had some really interesting comments on Scott Perunovich and what his role could be for the Blues this year and beyond. We'll let you hear that coming up next on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling. Count that, that big bang. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 10 minutes or so, we're going to give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. It's Cardinals versus Brewers, and suddenly this is taking on an outsized importance. The Cardinals are going to be right in the thick of things, so you're going to want to go to this game. Tuesday is an exclusive Rick Ankiel bobblehead night. Winner must be 21 or older. Tickets are courtesy of Budweiser and 101 ESPN. And here's what we need you to do. If you are text your number six and seven, you will have an opportunity to play a game in the next segment, number six or seven, and you have the correct answer to this question, then you will be entered to potentially win this pair of tickets coming up in the next segment. If you can tell us 
what we were talking about when I got in trouble for what I said about children. What were we talking about when I got in? <laughs> Yikes. Let me, let me rephrase Yikes. this question. That's like Michael Scott's dating profile. <laughs> I'm going to put little kid lover so that they know what my intentions are. I feel uncomfortable. I feel, I was he here. was looking at you, too, because you're like 12. What mode of transportation were we talking about during the junk drawer? If you could be texter number six Hey-o! or seven with the correct answer to that question, you will be potential. You will be playing in our game coming up here in about 10 minutes I'm or so. uncomfortable. All right. So Scott Perunovich. He's got a big role for the Blues in the future. The question is, how close is that future to seeing uh, the, the ice right now? Alex Scott Wheeler of The Athletic wrote about Perunovich coming off of that prospects camp over the weekend, the tournament that they were in. And he said, if there was an award for the best play of the tournament, it would go to Perunovich in my mind. He shouldn't be in the has to earn it category for me. He should be in the we have to find a way to make room for him on the NHL roster, even if it comes at the expense of a veteran category for the Blues. End quote again, that from Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. It sounds like Perunovic had a great weekend. Were you able to watch much of him? And if so, what was your impression of Perunovic? First of all, Kale McCarr comps don't sound too crazy now, do they, boys? Yeah, they do. I never made that comp. Uh, Yeah, no, I caught his game Friday afternoon. or I think the game was in the evening and then Saturday evening. I caught both of them. Look, I I love the way that he plays. I mean, he has got the wheels on the ice. Like, the the skating skills – are close to being elite. I mean, he can move and he can move quickly with the puck on his stick. Defensively, I'm I'm curious what it looks like against big time players because what he's doing is he's going up against other kids, right? Like he's 23 years old. He's facing off against guys who were drafted in 2019, 2020, heck, that were just drafted this year. Not going up against, you know, Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog on the other side. So that's what's going to be really intriguing with him defensively. But like I told you earlier after our interview with JR, What I saw from him in that tournament was his ability to get the puck out of the zone quickly. And that was something that the Blues really struggled with last year. And then the part where I think Scott Wheeler was referencing of why he has to make the team is his ability in the offensive zone. He managed the power play better than I've seen any Blues player do in the last couple of seasons, right? Like Vince Dunn was the guy along with Tori Krug. He looked like those two out there. I mean, he moves the puck so quick. He makes the decisions. I talked to you about those low shots rather than the heavy slap shots. He'll draw a defender towards him on the boards and then circle off of that defender and get a shot on net. That's going to be huge for this Blues team. So with Scott Perunovic's play overall, he really stuck out to me. And the other part too, BK, real quickly, he played both sides in the tournament. Played the left side and the right side. And that's crucial because they got a lot of depth on the left. They have no depth on the right. So Craig Berube was on the fast lane yesterday. And that was Alex's impression of Scott Perunovic based on what he did in the tournament. Here's what Craig Berube had to say about what he's seen from Perunovic of late. Yeah, I watched a couple games up in Traverse City and he was really good up there. Um, real great, real good poise with the puck and, and his head's up. He sees the ice really well never panics with the puck no matter the situation the one thing that impressed me the most is just his ability to uh read the play um he's ahead of he's ahead of it already like jumping up in the play and getting up the ice and things like that now he might have to dumb his game down a little bit you know just be more direct with it at times but a lot real good ability he sounds like he's impressed 
And then he was asked what he's seen specifically from Perunovic on the defensive side of things, because this is the real question. We know he is, he is very skilled offensively, but the question for the blues, especially with Craig Berube as your head coach and a defensive minded head coach at that, what does he do on the defensive side of things? Is he a liability there? You know, defensively, he, his game is going to be reading plays and breaking plays up with a stick, trying to poke pucks from people quick and then jump on them and get going the other way. You know, he's not an overly big guy, so he's going to have to do it a little differently than Colton Perenko. But And that's just something that he's going to have to learn when he gets up here or playing with the bigger guys and stuff that you're probably not going to win all those battles because you're you're smaller, so you gotta you got to figure out ways to do it. Yeah, it all comes down to stick play with Scott Perunovic. And look, if I remember correctly, and I only saw a couple of them last year because of the bubble play, um, but when they did their training camp before the season started over at Centene and they did a scrimmage and we called that game on 101, I remember Curbs Joey and I discussing Scott Perunovic and he, he didn't look out of place, but you could tell he was mismanaged in his own zone. He would make too quick of plays, try and move the puck fi- quickly with his feet rather than just move it out of the zone. A lot of it is kind of what Tory Krug and Vince Dunn struggled with last season. So Craig Berube is correct there. Like That's the biggest thing that I think you're going to be paying attention to in training camp is how he adapts to the big league level when Ryan O'Reilly's coming at you with the play in your own zone or when David Perron's got you hemmed on the boards how do you alter off of that because again I'm not making the comp but when you watch Kale McCarr play a smaller stature player who went from the college to the to the pros his ability to poke check pucks off of the the forwards coming in quickly but then also being able to move the puck up the ice that's where Quinn Hughes has excelled with the Vancouver Canucks you got to make quick decisions. You're on a Blues team that likes to play physical, so you got to find a way to play physical with a small stature, but you also have to find a way to be different on the ice in terms of you be the guy that as soon as the puck hits your stick, you're moving up the ice. So right now we know Justin Falk, Tory Krug, Colton Pareko, and barring something changing, uh, Marcus Scandella are going to be on the night-in, night-out basis. They're, they're in your lineup. They're, they're going to be up there. Those That's four defensemen that you know are going to be in the lineup. The other guys that are fighting for those final two spots, at least right now, seem to be Bortuzzo, Mikola, Santini, and Wallman. Mm-hmm. Those are the four guys for two spots. Do you think there's anything Perunovic can do at training camp and based on his performance at the at the tournament to take one of those two spots from from those four guys? I think it comes down to Perunovic and Jake Wallman. He's not going to take a spot from Robert Bortuzzo because Robert Bortuzzo is a vet. Even if he's not in there every single night, he'll be a seventh defenseman for you. Great penalty killer, block shots, has a little bit of, of edge to his game. He's not going to be so taken. basically up. have three roster spots right now for five guys. Correct. Five guys are battling. Yeah, for because usually spots. what you're going to do, and I don't know with a cap situation, but it, you usually carry seven defensemen, maybe eight defensemen, depending on what the forward process looks like. So I think it comes down to him outplaying Steve Santini, Jake Wallman, and Nico Mikola. And honestly, I, I think the the edge is going to go to Nico Mikola because of the size and then Jake Wallman. And frankly, I think Perunovic is behind Steve Santini too, because Santini impressed some coaches last year at the end of the season. So you got to leapfrog three guys. I don't see him doing that unless he just has a unreal camp. But the player that it's really coming down to isolating the comps to is Wallman and Perunovic. So those are the two guys I'm keeping an eye on because if Perunovic provides more offense than Jake Wallman did, but is also more structured and dependable in the defensive zone, Craig Ruby's going to look at that and say, maybe we need this guy. Because remember, you don't have Vince Dunn. And I know that seems like, oh, well, yeah, you didn't need Vince Dunn. You struggled with him last year. 
and I know you don't want to have all of these small statured players, but you want to have some offensive skill on your defensive side. And I think that's where Jake Wallman and Scott Perunovich are going to come into play here. So he, he's going to have to do a lot in camp to jump over those guys. I think it's destined to start in the AHL. But look, man, offense plays, and Doug Armstrong has talked about how you need more goals, you need more scoring. That's where Perunovic can steal this spot. The one question that I would have is, is there something he can do to make sure that he's in the lineup every night? Because it it, it can't be just he jumps Jake Wallman for that seventh spot. Yeah, you if he's going to be on the NHL roster, he needs to be playing every night. And this is something that we talk about with the Cardinals a lot. They do not like bringing guys up before they're ready to be in there every single night. If they're going to be the fourth outfielder, for example, the Cardinals would rather have, if it's a top prospect, that guy be down in AAA than riding the bench as the fourth outfielder for some pinch hit opportunities for the big league club. That's going to be the same thing here with Perunovic. If he's going to be up as the seventh defenseman, it's better for him to be down in the AHL for him to get consistent reps. If he's able to earn a spot, as the fifth or sixth defenseman, that's where things could get very interesting very quickly. But I just don't know, uh, just from the outside looking in, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that in camp. It's It's been so long since he's seen consistent ice time. I think he's going to have to prove that in the AHL first. Real quick, BK, the, the glaring hole in camp is going to be that fourth spot, the second pair left-sided defenseman. And I don't mind the idea if you decide to play Scott Perunovich with Justin Falk or if Perunovich is playing with Colton Pareko. I prefer Justin Falk a little bit more. You don't think he would be a third pairing defenseman right now to start things out? Depends on how he performs. I, I mean, yeah, I don't. That seems like a big jump but remember, man, for the ice time that they, it, those guys get. It does, but remember what we talked about with Craig Button. Craig Button said Marco Scandella is a third pair defenseman. And yeah. I think you might be trying to push him into that spot. And if Perunovich plays well, you can manage that ice time to where he's not playing the 20 minutes like Justin Falk is. Yeah, I I just feel like that would be Mikola's spot more likely than Perunovic early on. Maybe eventually, if you feel comfortable with him defensively, maybe he's able to get there. But it, it, And Mikola impressed as well. So, I mean, that's somebody yeah. you're going to be fighting for, and especially he's got the advantage because of the height. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We're going to play a TV show game coming up next. The Emmys were over the weekend. We've got a game for a couple of the listeners that got the question correct in the final in the last segment. We'll give, our, give away our four-pack of Cardinals tickets next year on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. All right, it's time to give away a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash. It is the exclusive Rick and Keel bobblehead night. And how we're going to do so today, we've got 10 themes to TV shows that have either won or been nominated for an Emmy. All right, I'm, I think I can do this one, guys. So it's a theme song for 10 different TV shows that have either won or been nominated for an Emmy. We have two callers on the line, and they will be the participants. Yes, no. In the game T-Bone. Caller number one is Ian. Caller number two is Trent. Ian, how you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing fantastic. How are you feeling about a TV show theme song trivia? Oh, we'll see. I was hoping one of you guys would do it for me. No, 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 no. no. It's your turn this time. I think you earn the tickets now, Ian. We've had plenty of criticism of late, so this time it's all you. All right, Ian? I got it. All right, buddy. Caller number two is Trent. Trent, you ready to go, my man? 
I'm ready. Ready as I'll ever be. All right. Sounds good, buddy. So the way we're going to do this, Ian will get all five theme songs on his side first, and then we will go to Trent, and Trent will give his five, and then we'll tell you who the winner is. Ian, here we go with theme song number one. I got no clue on that one, boys. (laughs) All right. So number one, that's a negative. That that was 30 Rock. Ian, have you ever seen it? I have, but boy, it's been a minute. All right. right. So 30 Rock was a no-go for our guy, Ian. Ian, here comes theme song number two for you. didn't watch that's not breaking bad is it is that your final answer yes sir there's there t-bone go. for you Ian. there he is crushed it on breaking <laughs> bad one of the best tv shows ever and a rare tv show that actually had a good finale that's true t did you hear Next. did you hear our guy ian give the t-bone woo <laughs> I heard it, yeah. Uh, there we go. <laughs> he was doing it for the Lou right there. All right. Theme song number three for our guy Ian. He's one for two so far. Ian? That, that one is Fred. <laughs> he was so confident he wasn't even listening. He took the phone off his ear. He's like, I know this one. I was like, where do you go? All right, we're two for three. I was just jamming along. (laughs) All right, number four. Ian, you're two for three. Here's number four for you. Ian, what do you got? That's not cheers. No, that's wrong, but we'll go with cheers. That would be Full House, a big part of my childhood. By the way, Ian, we just saw Tanner's dance moves, and now we know why he's not getting a date to the wedding. Ian, how old are you, out of curiosity? I'm 27. Okay, so you're right around my age. That one one was in your wheelhouse. That's all right. Okay. Your fifth and final one. This is your final theme song from a TV show that either won or was nominated for an Emmy. So far, you are two for four. Game of Thrones. He was so confident with that one, too. I love it, Ian. All the others, there was a little bit of a delay between yeah. when the song ended and Ian was like, I don't know. I don't know if anybody watches yeah. South Park, but now every time I hear the Game of Thrones theme song, all I can hear is the South Park kind of making fun of it. But yeah. he, All right. Yep. Ian, that three one. of five. All right. Ian is three of five, and now we'll we're going it. over to Trent. Trent, how are you feeling about Ian's performance right now? Uh, I mean, after hearing the song, I'm a little scared. I'm not going to lie. I think you're going to be great, Trent. Trent, good, how Trent. old are you? I'm 21. All right. Oh, you're right. You're He's right in our wheelhouse. You're Let's T-Bone's Trent. wheelhouse. I'm, I'm going to be you. honest. There's a couple that I'm a little worried about for you. All right. Trent, let's start out with your first theme song to see how you're going to do here. Uh, I have no clue. 
I was a little worried about this one. That one's a tough one. That would be Modern Family. Pretty darn good show, honestly. An easy watch. Alright, so Trent is 0 for 1. Trent, here comes theme song number 2. I swear I've heard that before. <laughs> but do, I don't know the name of this song, though. Do you have a guest, Trent? I don't. Oh, that would be Seinfeld. I had a feeling if he's 20... That that was on I'm before pretty sure he was born. That show. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Me too. Me That's too, true. Trent. All right. Let's go with number three. Trent, you really need to run the table here, my man. Uh, theme song number three. I think you'll get this one. Trent, if you don't get this, we can't be friends, buddy. Can you play that one more time? Here we go. Theme song number three. Trent has to get this one or he's officially eliminated from the theme song trivia. Buddy, three seconds, Trent. Like you gave him some easier ones. I need the full house one, and I need the friends one. Do you have a guess for me, Trent? No. Trent. Trent. <laughs> it's the office, buddy. It's the office. Oh, Everyone's always so hyped about that show. I've never watched it. <laughs> oh, no, Trent. All right, well, Trent has been officially eliminated. That means, Ian, you are the winner of the four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. Congratulations, my man. Stay on the line, and we'll make sure to get your info down. Congrats on the four-pack. Awesome. Were the Thanks, guys. Absolutely. The congratulations. That is Ian. The next couple of songs that we were going to do were The Simpsons and Walking Dead. I have a feeling Trent was going to go over two on the next two. <laughs> if, he well. if he didn't get the offense, I don't think he was getting either of those two. Yeah. So a huge congratulations Sorry, to Ian for winning the four pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser. I like bash. how he said that uh, Ian got the easy ones. But honestly, I felt like the last five were the easier ones of the entirety. I actually tend to agree with because you. I think they're more recognizable. The Office, uh, Modern Family was a tough one, but 30 Rock was a tough one. The Office, Seinfeld, Walking Dead. I mean, Walking Dead was very recognizable. And then, I mean, you put The Simpsons in there. I mean, The Simpsons is... Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. as soon as that started, you knew it was The Simpsons. I feel like the if you can't get The Office, and this is no disrespect. No, Trent, no, hey, no, 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 no. Hey, more power to you, man. I'm sure if we were doing a sports trivia thing, you would have killed it, man. You would have been great. Five out of five, no doubt about it. Uh, I, I, If you didn't get The Office, I was pretty confident that he wasn't going to get By the next the way, couple either. I'm confused. Ian's heard us do these games before. Why would he want us picking for him? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, that's very I actually, true. We would have done much better on this game than we did on true. some of the sports yeah. trivia. Especially because I knew quite a bit of those, unlike when Alex gives me questions from like the 60s before my time. Not the 60s, literally the 90s.
or uh speed walking really the one that really got us was the sports nicknames that that could have gone better we've had better moments that on wasn't this show. on me guys <laughs> no that was on the two of us <laughs> nobody else nobody else needs to take any blame hey you could join me and alex at the 35th annual saint charles Oktoberfest this friday from four to six o'clock beer beer and more beer and all Bratwurst. weekend long music dancing bratwurst eating contests and an antique car show there's so much going on over at the saint charles Oktoberfest. Fest. I know Alex used to go to this whenever he was in at Lindenwood in St. Charles. I now live in St. Charles. This is right down the street from me. This is up in my neck of the woods. Join us for fun this Friday. BK and Ferrario live from St. Charles Oktoberfest. All the details can be found at 101ESPN.com. We are trying our best to convince Tanner Hendrickson to join us as well. Well, also... Um you will, if you come out Friday, get to witness BK paying off another one of his punishments. Oh, yeah. Because he's going to be putting on some nice lederhosen. Ha- would be happy to uh, take a picture with you and uh, grab a beer with you Maybe guys. Maybe we'll tell him not to wear a shirt underneath so you can see the waxing job that I did. It's really good, actually. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll put a bow on this bad boy coming up next on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up here in about five minutes or so, the fast lane will be on here on 101 ESPN. One quick question for you guys before we get out of here. I just saw this come across my timeline from Baseball America, and we'll talk a little bit more uh, about the Cardinals tomorrow. The Cardinals currently in the minor leagues have the worst record of any team uh, in terms of organizationally from top to bottom. So from their low A all the way up to their AAA affiliates, the Cardinals have the worst record in the minors. That's really surprising. Because Memphis had gone on a run there for a while. Something or nothing. Worthy of being a little worried about or zero concern whatsoever about that. So now you're blaming Jeff Albert again? No, I don't think you're you're back on Jeff Albert. Jeez, man. Something or nothing. We were just giving him credit earlier. Um, I I would say this is nothing. I mean, I know you want to win the championship in the minor leagues, but I think the more important thing is terms of progress. And if you look at the progress from what the Cardinals have done, they've um, catapulted some of guys from Memphis to the big leagues and they've had success and look at the minor leagues. You've had guys that have had success and moved up a notch like a Jordan Walker, a Nolan Gorman. So I'd say this is nothing. I think there's a little bit of something there. Uh, and the reason I say this, I don't remember who it was we had on, but someone had mentioned how maybe it was Terry Collins when he was on about, Guys come up from the minor leagues and they know what winning's like, and then they come up to the Cardinals and they just kind of bring that with them. I think there's a little bit of something there, and I think it shows you that maybe the Cardinals are really high on their – they're really top-heavy. they got all these top prospects that are doing well, but besides them, what's going on elsewhere in the minors? I think it tells us, once again, it reiterates the point. The Cardinals were just wrong, and we were wrong about the Cardinals' depth pitching-wise. I think the Cardinals organizationally did not have the pitching they thought they did coming into the season. A lot of that is because of the weird pandemic season. You can draw a lot from that 2020 season where they didn't have guys that were out there getting consistent reps. They signed multiple players from independent leagues. They had to trade from their, uh, to, to be able to get more pitching for their big league club. They had to get some pitching down to the lower levels as well, just to make it through the season. I think that's what this tells you. I don't think it tells you much, much about their top prospects. They've got a lot of guys that have performed really well this year, but 
organizationally from top all the way down to the bottom. They did not have the pitching depth that they thought they did and that we thought they did. And I think that's the lesson to be learned there. And we saw that at the big league club. And I think this stat is symbolic of that. And that Jeff Albert's not good. Naturally, that is also the follow-up. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. The Fast Lane's coming up next. We'll be back tomorrow at 11, right here on 101 ESPN. What we were talking about when I got in trouble for what I said about children. What were we talking about when I got in... <laughs> Yikes. Let me, oh, let me rephrase yikes. this question. That's like- Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, bike plus, or tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. The Wendy's $3 breakfast deal is here. Get a bacon or sausage egg and Swiss croissant plus a small seasoned potatoes. That's a better breakfast for just three bucks in three easy steps. One, wake up. Two, get out of bed. And three, head to Wendy's for your $3 breakfast deal. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's $3 breakfast deal. Limited time only. Participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Select or request $3 breakfast deal in order to obtain discount. Not valid for all card or combos orders. Price and participation may vary in Alaska and Hawaii.